at approximately 5.43 um, after the executive session is concluded. Second. First and second, all in favor? Aye. Aye. It passes four to zero. I don't think Commissioner Sellers is on there. No. Okay, we're back and we have nothing to report. Our regular meeting will start in at 5:45. You ready, folks? Are you ready? Welcome to the September 19th, 2023 Lawrence City Commission meeting. We'll start with a few instructions from our city clerk, Sherry. Thank you, Mayor, and good evening, everyone. If you were attending this meeting via Zoom, please ensure you are muted and your video is off when you are not actively participating in the meeting. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat and all chats go directly to the meeting host. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. When the mayor calls for public comment, those attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. Those participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Participants will be called upon in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. Please state your name before speaking and all comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you, Sherry. We will begin under item B. We did item A as an executive session. Is the approval of the agenda under item B. City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Are there any commissioners that would like to change the agenda? Move to approve the agenda. Second. Got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Passes four to zero. We move on to our proclamations. We have got three proclamations tonight, and we will start with um, proclaiming September 15th through October 15th, 2023, as Hispanic Heritage Month. Do we have somebody here to speak to that? Hi, good evening. My name is Lily Romero. I work at Centro Hispano as a director of care coordinator. My coworkers, Adriana Corona and Cindy Valdez, who are here tonight, we serve Latino families with kids under six years old. Our mission is to offer case coordinator, connect, connecting our clients with the services here in the community. We are deeply honored to have been invited to share in this month. Today, we gather here to celebrate and honor Hispanic Heritage Month, a time dedicated to recognizing the rich traditions and vibrant culture of the Hispanic community. This month-long celebration, which runs from September 15 to October 15, holds immense value in our society. Hispanic Heritage Month provides us with an opportunity to acknowledge and appreciate the countless achievements and contributions made by individuals of the Hispanic descent throughout history. 
from artists and musicians to scientists, traders, social workers, and activists. The Hispanic community has left an indelible mark in our world. But this man is not just about celebrating the past. It is also about recognizing the present and embracing the future. It is about acknowledging the diversity within the Hispanic community and the unique experience and perspectives that each individual brings. It is about fostering inclusivity and understanding and breaking down barriers and building bridges between cultures. Hispanic Heritage Man, reminding us of the importance of unity and solidarity. It served us as a reminder, reminder that we are all part of the large tapestry, woven together by our shared humanity. By celebra celebrating Hispanic heritage, we celebrate the diversity that makes our community stronger and more vibrant. This man allow, allows us to educate ourselves and others about the rich history, traditions, and contributions of the Hispanic community. It is an opportunity to challenge stereotypes, dispel misconceptions, and promote cultural understanding by learning about the experiences and achievements of the Hispanic community. We can foster empathy, respect, and appreciation to one another. In conclusion, Hispanic Heritage Man holds immense value in our society. It is time to celebrate the past, embrace the present, and look towards a future of inclusivity and understanding. Let this man serve as a reminder to honor and appreciate the contribution of the Hispanic community, not just during this month, but throughout the year. Gracias por considerar a Centro Hispano para recibir esta proclamación en este mes que nos identifica a la gran cultura hispana que somos. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you. I'll read the proclamation now. Whereas Hispanic Heritage Month has been celebrated since September 17, 1968, when President London B. Johnson signed the National Hispanic Heritage Week bill into law, marking a week of recognition and appreciation for the contribution and achievements of the Hispanic, Latino, and Latinx community in the United States. And whereas on August 17 of 1988, President Ronald Reagan expanded the Hispanic Heritage Week to a month-long celebration, providing an opportunity for the planning and the coordination of activities and events to honor the rich history, the culture, and the diversity of the Hispanic, Latino, and Latinx Americans. And whereas the month of September 15th until October 15th, 15th is a, of significant historical importance as it spans various national independence days in Latin America, South America, including Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Mexico, and Chile, highlighting the deep connection and shared heritage between these countries and the United States and whereas throughout American history, Hispanic, Latino, and Latinx individuals have played crucial roles in shaping the nation, contributing to every aspect of our society, from the arts and scientists to the economy, and serving with valor and distinction in the U U.S. Armed Forces. With over one, 100 million Hispanic, Latino, and Latinx 
veterans who have bravely defended our freedoms. And whereas Hispanic, Latino, and Latinx heritage is deeply woven into the fabric of American life with rich cultural traditions, languages, music, cuisine, and customs enriching our nation and fostering an environment of diversity, of inclusion, and understanding. And whereas the city of Lawrence proudly proudly embraces its Hispanic, Latino, and Latinx community and members and seeks to promote cultural awareness, appreciation, and unity, striving to always create a welcoming and equitable city for all of our community members. Now, therefore, I, Lisa Larson, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, do hereby proclaim September 15th through October 15th, 2023, as Hispanic Heritage Month. I urge all of our community members to join in celebrating and recognizing the enduring contributions and impact of the Hispanic community on history, culture, and and shared identity of our city in our nation. Thank you very much. Okay, our next um, proclamation is to proclaim the week of September 18th as National Co-Responder and Crisis Responder Week. Chief? Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. I brought with me tonight our Lawrence Police Department co-responder, Danielle, and one of our mental health response team members, Blair. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about the programs. My name is Danielle, and I work for Burt Nash and Lawrence Police Department. I am currently the co-responder here in Douglas County slash Lawrence. Um, what I do is I ride side by side with the police officer. We go to welfare checks. Um, concerns of individuals if they're laying on the ground. We kind of go check on them. Um, I go check on overdoses. We check on homicide and suicide. And we do any kind of suicidal ideations. When we go talk to these individuals, our plan is to give them resources throughout the community. Most of the time, our community is going to TRC. So we like to take them over to the TRC, like to take them to Burton Ash, offer them services throughout their both agencies and see what we can do to help them versus putting them in jail or anywhere else where they don't belong. And so I like to do it with MRT, who also does the other side. Yeah. I'm Blair Hines. I'm the program supervisor of the mobile response team at Burt Nash. Um, our team, we operate 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. <laughs> Uh, we connect with people who've reached out for assistance through the 988 hotline. Um, we'll be connecting with them to work through whatever current distress they're experiencing, working on reducing that in the moment and after our contact with them and helping them connect with other resources or services that might be appropriate for their situation that they're interested in. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anything else, Chief? If not, I'll, I'll read the proclamation. Whereas the city of Lawrence, Kansas has continued to address the rising demand for mental health and substance use services. And whereas mental health and substance use challenges can lead to homelessness, incarceration, and emergency room visits, which are more intrusive and costly for communities than earlier interventions and connections to behavioral health services. And whereas the city of Lawrence has recognized the need for additional resources for individuals experiencing mental health crisis and identified co-responders and mobile crisis teams as an emerging, emerging effective practice. And whereas Lawrence Police Department's co 
Responder Program was established in June of 2017 to embed mental health clinicians with law enforcement agencies to respond collaborative, collaboratively to individuals in crisis to provide the right intervention at the right time to avoid arrest, emergency room visits, and repeated 911 calls by connecting to the appropriate resources. Whereas the Douglas County Mobile Crisis Response Team, led by our Burton Ash Community Mental Health Center, includes mental health clinicians in crisis cases managers that provide screenings, assessments, and connections to appropriate resources like counseling, medication, housing, and other necessities, furthering re further reducing the need for unnecessary first responder inactions and hospitalizations. And whereas today, the co-responder program and our mobile response team provide coordinated intervention and outreach between the hours of 8 a.m. and 2 a.m. seven days a week. Now therefore I, Lisa Larson, the mayor of City of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim the week of September 18th as National Co-Responder and Crisis Responder Week. Thank you very much for your service. All right, we'll move on to our uh, last proclamation, but not least, is a proclamation to um, claim Sunday, October 1st, 2023, as uh, Lawrence Drive Electric Day. Do we have any he anybody here to speak on that? Teresa. Thank you, Mayor, cities, uh, members of the commission. I'm Teresa Wilkie. I live in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm a member of the Sustainability Action Network and we have hosted an electric vehicle show in Lawrence for the past several years. This year the event will be Sunday, October the 1st, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. in South Park on the east side near the bandstand. So far we have 17 cars, a bus, and a lot of electric bicycles coming. The entire public is invited to view and learn about the vehicles powered by electricity. There's no charge for the event. The City of Lawrence is a big sponsor with Kathy Richardson as their rep. I want to shout out to Kathy. Lawrence Transit is another sponsor with Adam Waggle as their representative and that's who's bringing a bus to our show. We want to thank them both for their sponsorship. I must say, I'm proud to live in Lawrence, Kansas. Increasing access to electric cars and charging is a crucial step for fostering the adoption of electric vehicles and delivering a greener way to get around town. The present acts of the city commission work to ensure we have a future, all of us. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. All right, I'll read the proclamation now. Whereas petroleum fuel vehicles are responsible for over 50% of our local greenhouse gas emissions and are a contributing factor to air pollution and climate disruption, threatening the health of our citizens and the sustainability of our planet. Whereas the United States transportation sector has surpassed the electricity generation sector in climate heating emissions. And whereas plug-in vehicles use one-fifth of the energy used by internal combustion vehicles and get and get 100 miles per gallon equivalent or better. And whereas plug-in electric vehicles produce no greenhouse gas emissions when charged with renewable energy and only one-fifth of the greenhouse gas emissions when charged with uh, fossil fuels. And whereas September 22nd to op op 
October 1st, 2023, has been designated as National Drive Electric Week throughout the United States to educate our citizens about the benefits of plug-in electric vehicles and to promote their um, adoption. Now, therefore, I, Lisa Larson, the mayor of the city of Loris, do hereby, hereby complains, co proclaim Sunday, October 1st, to be Lawrence Drive Electric Day. I do encourage all citizens to attend the Lawrence Ele Electric Vehicle Showcase at South Park, Park between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you. Right, we are on to item D, public comment. The public is allowed to speak on issues or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Comments should be limited to issues in items germane to the business of, this, of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make deci decisions on items presented during this time. Each person will be limited th to three minutes for comments. Good evening, Commissioners. Ted Boyle, North Lawrence Improvement. Uh, I'd like to talk about getting our tennis courts back in North Lawrence uh, that you gave away to the pickleball players. And they commandeered our tennis courts. And, uh, you know, since Lawrence has such a uh, large tennis program, and uh, I've looked at your activities guide, and uh, the city has teamed up with Jayhawk tennis and uh, North Lawrence does not have a tennis court anymore because they were stolen from us and converted to pickleball courts and also the pickleball players are rude and crude and uh, they disrespect anybody basketball players uh, the tennis players and uh, there's not enough parking over there at Lions Park and so Christy Elliott our coordinator, she is a retired tennis pro. And prior to you stealing our tennis courts, she used to give free lessons to the kids in North Lawrence and whoever wanted them. Now, we cannot do that. So uh, I've been talking to Parks and Rec about getting tennis courts back and uh, we need them back. We do not have one in, the, in North Lawrence. So. But on a good and a positive note, I want to thank you for the sprinkle pad that got completed here about a month ago uh, after, you know, it was vandalized, set it back two weeks. It has been utilized uh, 100%, and even at our potluck picnic a week ago Monday, as cool as it was and it just got through raining, there was about 10 kids. <laughs> utilizing that sprinkle pad that evening and as uh, long as the weather stays warm and I talked to Derek Rogers and he said you know if the temperature stays up uh, it'll stay open and also the new playground equipment it's in process of uh, getting that in Lions Park and hopefully by October that will be completed so to complete the uh, recreation in Lions Park, we need the tennis courts back. So we would appreciate that if you would do that. Thank you. Thank you. Any other general public comment? Well, I'm, I'm Richard Haig. 
And I'd like to comment on the uh, master plan contract that's on. Richard, that's on our consent agenda, and, and so later. it'll be later, okay. I know, yeah, I know, yeah. <coughs> Any other general public comment? Uh, Mayor Larson, City Commissioners, uh, City Administrator Owens, uh, and staff. I'm Patrick Schmitz, CEO of the Burt Nash Center and a citizen of Lawrence, Kansas. I stand here today to thank you for the work you have embarked on towards addressing the impact of houselessness on the individuals experiencing it and our community. This work is difficult, challenging, and too often thankless. While I would love to say that everything you have attempted has been a resounding success, the truth is I could no more say that about my own personal or professional life. And as such, I do not stand here in judgment of your efforts. Instead, I extend to you the grace you have extended to me, my organization, and the others we endeavor together to implement solutions that address the complexities of this issue impacting those individuals, our community, state, and nation. I appreciate the City of Lawrence and Douglas County's efforts to bring more funding, governance, and leadership into this space, and want you to know my organization and I are committed to being a part of this work. Thank you again for stepping up and into this challenging, difficult work. I appreciate you. Thank you. Any other general public comment? Hi. <clears throat> My name is Sherry Ellen Becker. <clears throat> Thank you for letting me speak tonight. I wanted to talk once again about the farmland remediation project. Um, <clears throat> last time I was here, I asked some questions, and I did get an answer right away that very week from Jeff Scott, the project manager, who told me that the current CIP does not include any expenditures or staff time from previous years. So that's just money that's somewhere been spent out there, but it's not part of the trust and it's not part of the CIP, so that means it got sucked into the budget. Because in the budget that ended in December 31st of 2022, tucked right in there between public safety and health and social services is $20 million for the uh, remediation liability that was recognized and expensed in the current year. And I suppose that that's gonna go into the CIP, you know, be funded by the CIP, which means we're gonna borrow it. And the bank that I go to told me that um, the city borrowed money in April and they borrowed it at 5% fixed rate interest only payments, which means that when this $20 million that they recognize gets fully borrowed, that's gonna be a million dollars a year interest. That's like money thrown away when I, where I grew up. When you pay interest, that's throwing it away, like on a credit card. And that gets me to the strategic plan because part of your commitment is a sound fiscal stewardship to build and maintain public trust. First of all, to me, this got kind of slipped in there and that's not good at today's. Um, but if you go back and look at these minutes of this 2015 um, board commission meeting where this was 
where we stuck up our hand and said, you're doing it, state of Kansas and EPA, but we want to do it. Give it to us. Um, there was the comfort letter that they referred to from the EPA. And I had a PE look at it, and I had an attorney that does a lot of contracts look at it, and they said the comfort provided was that they would split off the remediated land, which turned into Venture Park, that we ran infrastructure out to at our expense and then gave away the land. But in there it says, it is the EPA's expectation that the city will use other acceptable financial assurance mechanisms for any remaining cleanup costs. So. That was no comfort. Somebody in those minutes said, we're, we're indemnified from any surprise, economic surprises. This is my area of business. I know what's going on. And I don't think it, they knew what was going on. I'm thank you, Sherry. Okay, thank you. I'll come back next time. Thank you. Any other general public comment? Anybody on Zoom? Okay, bring it. Is that it, Sherry? Well, somebody just joined, so I want to make sure they don't raise their hand. Give me one second there. It looks like that's it. Okay, we'll bring it back to the commission. Move on to item E, which is the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and approved by one motion. Members of the governing body may remove items for separate discussion if desired. Members of the public may remove items identified as quasi-judicial for separate discussion if desired. Members of the public will be limited to three minutes for comments. So are there any commissioners that would like to have an item removed from the regular consent agenda? Well, uh since Rich is here to speak on it, I'd like to pull E5. Yes, G, yeah. Any others? Okay. Are there any commissioners that um, want to pull the quasi-judicial item before I open it to the public? If not, we'll ask the public. Is there anybody in the public that would like to have the quasi-judicial item removed for, for discussion? Not, we'll bring it back to the commission for a vote. I move for approval of the consent agenda with the exception of E5G. Second. I have a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes four to zero. So we'll move on to item E5G. Uh, yeah, uh, so yes, I just pulled this because Rich came to speak on it and I uh, would like to hear what his comments. Okay. Um, yeah, is there anything from, yeah, before we get started, is there anything from staff on this item at all before we open it up to public? No. Nope. We'll open a public comment at this time. Okay. Um, Richard Haig, and uh, I'd like to talk about the uh, the contract. It's a significant amount of money, and there's a lot of the items that are happening at the airport that aren't brought up to, to snuff. And uh, about a year and a half ago, the Lifestar hangar went up for sale. It never went up for, for the uh, purpose of finding out whether the city still needed the hangar or not. The, the, uh, RFP for that was declared invalid, and fortunately, a lease was extended to Lifestar, and the hangar was not sold. 
on uh, June the 5th of this year, the community hangar was appraised for sale. And once again, the community hangar is part of the, uh, the city infrastructure that was funded with federal grants, so there are federal grant assurances that are tied to that. And I don't know anybody that's, any meetings that have taken place where the city has finished using that community hangar, it is a, a vital part of the airport. But working with, a, with other items as far as things go, the city has spent a lot of time and a lot of money with Garver, and I'd like to understand that that money is being spent wisely already. Back in uh, October 5th of 22, Dream Aviation came to us with a proposal to build two 40,000 square foot hangars with office space in the middle. The uh, advisory board on their October 5th meeting voted to, to move it forward. October 6th, an email shows that it was going to be forwarded to the FAA. As of the um, October 6th, or the uh, October, let's find the last meeting that we had with um, the, uh, as of the August 2nd meeting of the Airport Air Aviation Advisory Board, that had not been forwarded to the FAA for consideration. Chin has come out and said that the city told him that it was on hold as other plans and, and uh, proposals were being taken into consideration and, and not moved forward. Those plans and, and proposals have all been gone through with between city staff and Garver and city staff and another airport tenant, but none of those proposals have been brought forward to this body or to the Aviation Advisory Board. And so I, on the uh, August 29th, I made a open records request to find out exactly what had been going on. On September 8th, I received notice from the city that they would be getting the information to me, but it was going to be a delay. And that delay is not going to be, I won't get the materials and information until September 22nd. So my request is that you postpone the decision on this item until after those records can be reviewed and make sure everything's on the, the up, that everything's in the way it should be. Okay, thank you. Any questions for me? Public comment. Okay. Any other pu public item or, or, or public comment on this item? Anybody on Zoom? Chris Flowers. Hi, this is Chris Flowers. And I was just curious, um, uh, Vice Mayor, I believe Bart Littlejohn said, um, he pulled this item because uh, that guy was there to make comment about it. I was just wondering, in the future, if other people show up expressing desire to make comment on a consent agenda item, will you be pulling it for them also? Or is this going to be, if you like the person or not, depends on or de determines if you pull the item or not? I was just wondering how that's going to work. Thank you. Any other public comment on this? No. no, Mayor. Okay, bring it back to the commission. Um, so I did have a couple of questions. Um, as I looked at this a little closer, um, I noticed that it's for 399000 almost 400000 for a master plan, an update to a master plan, not a master plan, but an update to it. This seems really expensive to me. Um, and can somebody explain why we aren't going out to bid for this item?
this is what I'll call them. I'm seeing if anybody's going to There we go. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry, this is Kyle Garnowitz. Um, so we have Garver as our uh, engineering consultant, and uh, they're already pretty familiar with our operations and our master plan. Um, and we have a KEIP grant to fund uh, the majority of, of this master plan study. Um, so I, I think that it's a, a reasonable uh, bid for the master plan study, for a typical master plan study. There was a bid. This was a consultant we already had on board, so there was no bidding in the process from what I understand. Well, they gave us the price that I'm calling yeah. that the bid. Yes. Yeah, so, um, in some cases, we would do an independent fee examination. Um, that I don't think that this is a, a level uh, where, or it's also not using federal funds. So I don't think that that's required. It may not be required, but is it prudent for us to look at price? As I said, $400,000 for a master plan. I mean, our rewriting of our entire code is, is about $400,000. So I'm kind of trying to to understand better why this is going to cost so much. And I looked at some of the hourly rates, and I was pretty surprised to see what some of the hourly rates were. Um, yeah, I think it would be about the same if, if we went out. Um, but if, if that is your uh, advice, then we could uh, go out to, to bids for this project. Okay. I, um, go ahead. I guess I was just going to follow up. As I read the I – mean, this is not the master – plan like let's plan the airport this is the runway study right. correct whether or not we can extend the runway so i took that as a you know it's not first of all am i correct on that that th this is what is the extension of the master plan to study whether or not we can extend the runway for larger planes is that correct uh that is not correct um that that's a separate project that that's uh, in progress right now okay harbor um, that's the runway expansion feasibility study, and we wanted to have that project mostly wrapped up before we start the final master plan update, which is what we're discussing. So tell me, when I read the summary of their work, I guess I understood it to be, maybe I didn't understand what I was reading. I thought it was, I was talking about the, the extension of the runway and how that would fit in with the master plan golfers already helped us um, create. Was this just a brand new master plan from from the get-go? That's not how I read it, so maybe I misunderstood. Uh, the, the contract that should be attached to the agenda should be for the master plan update. Right. I guess what, explain to me what we're updating about it. Where buildings go, where roads go, where runways go, everything. Anybody? Uh, Kyle, did you catch that question? Oh, sorry, I was muted. Um, yeah, it covers all that. It covers parking, uh, roads, Access for aircraft hangars, um, and just gives us an idea of where we where we can and should put our infrastructure at the airport, for, for all the buildings and facilities and infrastructure. 
so it, there, there's nothing in the pl in that uh, proposal that would bode to how we would what we would be doing with the airport as far as upgrading what are what are um, is, the, is the board involved with this um, or how are we, how are we going to use the airport in the future it's more infrastructure is that what I'm hearing it's it's pretty much all operations of the airport so and including uh, included in this project is several public meetings including board members and presentations to the board and uh, and their findings I believe will be presented to the city commission for the approval of the airport master plan okay any other questions or comments on this well, I think I figured out my mistake is in V5 geospatial, are they the ones doing the runway study? No, but they are a subcontractor to Garver on the master plan study and they do surveying of the airport and submit the airport survey okay. and the airport GIS layout to the NGS. Okay. I was reading their scope of work, not the scope of work for the whole project, and they that's why I got confused. My mistake. Sorry about that. Thank you for indulging me. So the other item um, that I have of concern, I'm sorry, did you? Uh, oh, I, I think you were probably going to answer. The, yeah. Ask the question. Now. Yeah. Is that um, we've had uh, some public imp or tried to do public input on, on some of this and has asked, and the public has asked questions about, you know, the ongoings at the airport with these um, leases, possible sale of properties, um, um, and so forth, and and the public has asked questions about it, but they've um, been given some answers, but I think the most recent is that they were told they couldn't get an answer until September 22nd on these, on these items um, within this master plan. Plan, um, which is obviously two days from now or three days from now. So I, I would like to um, look at possibly deferring this until we get some of these answers. And also to take a look at that $400,000 that we're proposing for a, an update of a master plan. I would concur. And in that report, can you be gen generous enough to include all the other supplements? This is the sixth supplement. If that's, pardon me, I'm scrolling up here. Uh, be sure and include what those other supplements were. Uh, Mayor, I saw Melinda pop on. Did she have something she wanted to say? Melinda? Yeah, she, Melinda, did you have something? Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. I just wanted to add that we do every five years go through an RFP process to select an airport consultant. So Garver went through that competitive uh, process and they were selected for a five-year period. And so their previous supplement agreements are for other design task orders uh, related to other airport projects. Um, I also just wanted to share the airport master plan is in the CIP with the city's 10% match. Um, and this is a requirement of the FAA to do this periodically so that we can qualify for some of their grant funds. So uh, this this amount was approved by the FAA. Okay. And that's, I just wanted to provide that additional information. Okay, I, I'm not sure if I'm correct on this. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but if way I thought I had read it was that when this consultant had did the, the bid or 
provided the um, request for, for quotes early three or four years ago that they did not provide any line item um, hourly rates or any costs with that. That was negotiated after they were chosen, so there was there was no um, evaluation based on, on pricing. Is that, am I wrong on that? Did I read that wrong? Um. Mayor Larson, on this selection, it was qualification-based selection. We use the process that's required also by the FAA so that we can use this consultant um, for design projects. Um, I would have to go back and check. Typically, cost is not part of the scoring, but we usually have hourly rates submitted as a separate cost proposal that we look at at the time of negotiation. And then there's costs. Um, those hourly rates are set um, and typically allowed to be updated annually based on a cost of living increase, but those are set with the master agreement typically. I would need to go back um, and look at that specifically for the airport consultants. I'm referring to you know, the on-call agreements. That's how we handle those. Okay. Thank you, Melinda. I would appreciate it if we did that. So is there agreement to defer this? Okay. Do we need to vote on that, Sherry? Yes, you'll need to... Someone will need to make a motion to defer. Need what? I'm sorry. You'll need a motion to defer. Okay. And if you'll list a date, I, you want to defer it to. Okay. Be helpful. So when when how soon would we want that back? In just one of our October meetings. Yeah. How soon do they get that material to us? I don't know. What would be what would work? Are the material they're asking for is the uh, open records request. Well, that was part of it, um, is that there's some, apparently some questions out there that that, that the public field need to be answered before moving forward with voting. I, I don't know anything about the open records request, Sherry. Are you familiar yeah, with I it? I mean, it, the request was for an extensive amount of emails and communications. And so when you give us a keyword and we have to search every email for that, and then those have to be reviewed to make sure that we're not providing them for so those are the records that were requested. In terms of questions, I haven't received those. I don't know if the department has. I haven't either. My understanding is questions are being asked. I just respond to the open records request. My understanding is that it went to staff, to Scott Wagner. I don't. I, don't, I, I just don't. I yeah. don't have a copy. I haven't heard about these questions yet. This is the first time I've heard about any of these questions. Okay. Yeah, I'm not familiar with these questions or what their relationship is to the master plan study. So we, we can find the questions and we can try to answer the questions okay. and we, we would, I guess, you want to see copies of the open records that have been requested? Um, I think Commissioner Shipley, I, won't, I don't want to speak for you, but you asked for the... Well, the what we've already, we will have voted on those. So if they come back with a report, I just would like them to include all that just so that it's all in one place where we can find it. Apparently there, supplements. Were, there were five or six supplements, the supplements from the consultant consultant. Right. Work. So, so when we when we do when we do, I think it's a good point to help, hope everybody's clear on. And Melinda talked about our process. So we go through a selection of our technical consultants, um, mostly engineers, every five years. And so we go through a rigorous process of asking who wants to work for the city for various types of contracts. In this case, it was an aviation consultant. But we have, I think, dozens probably of um, engineering consultants that apply through that process and then are qualified to do engineering work for us, which we do a lot of, as you know, with all of our infrastructure projects. This is one of those contracts. When they say supplemental contracts, what they've said is, we, we've signed a 
contract for these next five years that we're going to do this work under this general agreement. And then each of those specific designs that come out, we've selected you to do this one, and that's a supplemental agreement. So we negotiate those. So the Garver agreements, these supplementals, probably have nothing to do. This is a separate scope of work. Yeah. And so you often approve these scopes of work as a specific approval. So this is another one of those. So we, yes, we can show you what the other contracts were of the work that Garver's done since they were hired in that. Okay. Those, those would have been other agenda items or things that we've, yeah. we've already engaged with them and probably they've concluded. Okay. Well, I think it's fair for the taxpayer to know what those are and for those to be in the same place and be easy to find without searching. That's all I'm saying. And it should be easy for the young man who does that work to come put okay. that in that report. Okay. Okay. Anything else that you need on that? No. No. So I don't, I don't see why we would not be able to get that back on the next agenda. Okay. That would um, be fine. And, and have a presentation if you'd like. Yep. Um, I, I, the only thing I don't know about is I haven't seen these questions that the public has asked. And so I don't, I can't respond to what I'm not sure what they were asking okay. for. And I'm, I want to make sure, do you all want copies of the open records request materials that have been requested? Mm. Sounds like the voluminous. I, I do not need them. <laughs> yeah. We'll be ready for the next meeting. And again, I'll be clear, just to be clear, I you don't know, know, if know how many, but the we get a lot and then determine what's yeah. responsive. Well, he was given a... What's taking time. Well, he was given a date of September 22nd when that information would be That's made right. available. It'll be available at that time. So I thought interesting specifics. So... I think two more weeks is enough time. Okay. Then I ask for a motion to defer. I would move to defer, consider or authorizing the city manager to execute supplemental agreement number six in the amount of three that three hundred thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars and nine. I'm sorry, three hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety six dollars with Garver LLC with for the update of the Lawrence Regional Airport Master Plan as defined by the FAA AC one fifty five fifty seventy six B. Is that good, Sherry? Yes. Okay. Second. Second. I have a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Passes four to zero. Okay. We'll now move on to the work session. The work session provides an opportunity for the city commission to discuss items in greater detail. The commission will take no binding action on items presented during this time. Work session topics are eligible for public comment. Members of the public will be limited to three minutes for comments. So we have an update on the arts and culture from Unmistakable Identity Outcome Team. Porter, good to see you here. Nice to see you all. Let me get myself set up here. <coughs> Good evening, Mayor Larson and Commissioners. Great to see you all tonight. I appreciate being here. Um, Porter Arneal is System Parks and Recreation Director for Arts and Culture. As you know, Lawrence has a long 
and well-regarded history as a community steeped in arts and culture. As acknowledged as part of our unmistakable identity, it's that creative spirit and character that's part of the core DNA of this community and a big part of why people want to visit and live here. Students, tourists, and both long and short-term residents participate in the multitude of arts and culture activities and services this city and its unmistakable identity community partners generate, including music, events, festivals, parades, theater, dance, art, art education, craft, and powwows, all of which enliven our city. Tonight, as part of our unmistakable identity outcome update, I am very pleased to present background information about arts and culture in Lawrence. And helping me tonight is Kim Onspach of Explore Lawrence, who's going to talk about arts and culture-related tourism. And um, Nick Carswell, who is both a musician and a music steward. I've given you a new title. <laughs> um, in various ways, he's going to talk a little bit about music ecology in Lawrence. So very happy to have these guys here to help me out. Our unmistakable identity statement of purpose is, Lawrence is a welcoming community synonymous with arts, diverse culture, fun, and a quintessential downtown. City parks and community events contribute to the vibrancy experienced by all people in Lawrence. As I mentioned tonight, we'll share information about our unmistakable identity arts and culture related progress indicators a 50-year timeline of the city of Lawrence's arts and culture background. I won't do that year by year, though. <laughs> um, the citywide cultural plan, which is entitled Building on Lawrence's Creative Capital, which is still a great plan. Our arts and economic prosperity study with Americans for the Arts. The current parks, recreation, arts and culture comprehensive plan process as it relates to arts and culture. We'll hear about arts and culture tourism from Explore Lawrence, as I mentioned, and also hear about music from uh, Nick Carswell which is including Lawrence Music Alliance and Mixmaster 2023 as well as work he's doing with the Kansas Creative Arts Industries Commission. As you see here, Arts and Culture aligns primarily with our progress indicators UI1 through UI6 and includes garnering data related to equity and inclusion related to arts and culture. It's also important to note that under UI3, we have a fantastic group of community partners, including Theater Lawrence, the Watkins Museum of History, the Lawrence Art Center, Explore Lawrence, and the Lawrence Public Library, among others. That's a growing group as uh, more people come on board, so to speak. As the unmistakable identity outcome area continues evolving, the value of these and other community partners is growing. It's great to have smart and passionate partners in our community. I also want to mention that we're working closely with Britt Crum Kano in Prosperity and Economic Security and Arts and Culture is part of Lawrence's economic ecosystem and development. You may remember that Arts and Culture is referenced in the economic overview study conducted by Ernst & Young in 2020. According to that study, on a per capita basis, the arts and culture industry accounted for $264 in annual spending per resident of the city, which is the 28th highest out of 60 cities, counties, and jurisdictions with populations between 100 and 250,000 people across the country, and that is the highest in Kansas. Just want to note oh. that, real important thing. Oh. For context and show how much our city has invested in arts and culture over more than 50 years, I want to provide an arts and culture timeline that starts with the Cultural Arts Commission. 
On December 4, 1973, Resolution 3951 was passed by the City Commission, which established Lawrence Arts Commission to promote, encourage, and coordinate the artistic and cultural activities of the community through recommendations made by the governing body of the city and through coordinating endeavors of those groups and organizations which identify themselves as primarily concerned with the artistic environment of Lawrence. I want to note that 2023 marks the 50th anniversary of that passing. Um, so the Cultural Arts Commission on December 4th will effectively turn 50 years old. So I encourage you all to wish, wish them a happy birthday on December 4th. Um, in 2015, the Cultural Arts Commission was renamed and reaffirmed by Resolution 7140, which also established the current mission of the Cultural Arts Commission, which is to enhance and enliven the community by promoting cultural opportunities and arts education while nurturing an environment of aesthetic vitality. Um, just as a side note as well, a lot was happening at that time in our history. Uh, the Lawrence Art Center was founded in 1975 at the Carnegie Building at that time. And Theater Lawrence was started by Mary Dufton in 1977, among other folks back then. So there was a lot of arts activity at that time, which continues growing with all of us. Also in 1986, which was a visionary move at the time, I would say, is Resolution 5010 was passed for appropriations and expenditures for a public art program. It was reaffirmed in 2014 by Resolution 7070, which states that City Commission may set aside through bond or other normal budgetary procedures an amount not to exceed 2% of the cost of all capital improvements constructed, acquired, or contracted for construction acquisition during the previous fiscal year for the acquisition, purchase, and installation of art in public places. Um, it's very important to note that art in public places in this policy is defined as visual art or spaces for performance art placed on public property selected by established procedures and approved by the Lawrence Arts Commission. If anybody knows how that came to be, I'd love to know. <laughs> I wish I could go back in a time machine because it's a really interesting approach to public art. In 2013, the Cultural District was established by Resolution 7017, and the Cultural District Task Force was established by Resolution 7021, and was given the charge of identifying three cultural arts district models that combine private, public, and grant funding to support improvements in cultural districts, and examine the following questions. What are the best practices for making necessary improvements in cultural districts? How can the cultural district maintain its unique cultural and socioeconomic mix? What existing cultural organizations play a role in the creative economy in Lawrence? And what existing policies currently govern the creative economy? What recommendations for changes in policies and practices are appropriate to enhance the creative economy of Lawrence? Can I grab my water? So, building on Lawrence's creative capital, a citywide cultural plan. In 2015, the city of Lawrence was awarded a grant from the Kansas Creative Arts Industries Commission to complete a citywide cultural plan. The city of Lawrence engaged the team of Christine Harris Connections and creative community builders to complete a citywide cultural plan for Lawrence. The development of a plan was one of the key recommendations of the city's cultural district task force. The Lawrence Cultural Arts Commission, in coordination with a 15-member steering committee representing artists, arts and cultural organizations, and public entities, gathered community input through surveys, meetings, and focus groups. 
All totaled over 650 people in our community participate in that cultural planning process. As somebody that was hired at that time, I can tell you it's a very good cultural plan and it still has merit for what we're doing now. We are using it as a um, sort of foundation for the current Parks, Rec, Arts and Culture Comprehensive Plan. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. The cultural planning process created a functional and sustainable guiding plan which documents Lawrence's unique cultural assets. That's going to be really important. I was just in a meeting in DeSoto and as we're looking at Panasonic and the World Cup coming in, knowing exactly what our cultural assets are compared to the entire region I think is going to be invaluable. That's something very high on my radar right now. Uh, Divine's cultural priorities recommend strategies and tools which the City of Lawrence can provide to support the efforts of the community to accomplish those priorities and further enhance the climate in which arts, artists, excuse me, art-related businesses, cultural tourism, and creative sector economic development can thrive, and provides recommendations for integrating infrastructure and capital improvement projects with the overall goals of the cultural plan. This plan calls on Lawrence to build on the multitude of assets the city enjoys as part of its unmistakable identity and to do so in ways that address challenges both unique to Lawrence and common among smaller cities working to thrive regionally. The plan explicitly states, to sustain and grow creative capital is critical to reframe decisions about economic investments and public policies related to the creative sector as core to Lawrence's social, civic, and economic vitality. The result is an excellent plan and implementation matrix. We've achieved many things outlined in this plan and it is providing a strong foundation to help with the comprehensive plan as I mentioned. Knowing how invested Lawrence is in its arts and culture ecosystem, when I started here in 2015, I recognized that we needed a viable arts and culture economic impact baseline measurement. With this, I worked with the Cultural Arts Commission in Douglas County and we joined Americans for the Arts National Economic Impact Study, Arts and Economic Prosperity 5. The Art Commissioners and I spent many months attending a wide range of events, clipboards and audio, audience intercept surveys in hand to ask a series of questions to gain data on the economic impact of arts and culture in Lawrence. We learned that in addition to enhancing quality of life, the arts and culture industry supports jobs and generates government revenue. Our participation in this important research project provides a baseline of economic data related to individual spending and allows us to quantify the economic impact of the nonprofit arts and culture industry and their audiences in Lawrence and Douglas County. What I love too is that our data coincides with data that Kim gets through um, tourism information, so it's great to have that as well. As a result of this study, we know that the nonprofit arts and culture sector in Lawrence, Douglas County is a $30.8 million industry that supports 1,061 full-time equivalent jobs and generates $2.8 million in local and state government revenue. Individual revenue beyond admission um, for events is $20.66 spent for local attendee and $36.46 per visiting attendee. That's why we like to have tourists come in. They spend their money. And that may, yeah, I'm sure that's changed after COVID now. Uh, this is an average of $24.25 in indirect spending. This is above and beyond ticket prices. So this is things that people come in and you know buy food, that type of thing. Um, so that's you know, really beneficial, so $24.25 average. Our vibrant culture, arts and culture industry is part of our unmistakable identity and also helps local businesses thrive. 
this gets interesting. So creative industries, the creative industries economy refers to the economic activities and sectors that are centered around creativity, innovation, and the production of intellectual property and cultural goods and services. It encompasses a wide range of fields, including but not limited to entertainment and media, and of course that's grown significantly since 2015. Visual arts and design, performing arts, advertising and marketing, design and innovation, architecture and interior design, as well as cultural heritage and museums. The creative industries economy generates revenue through the production, distribution, and consumption of creative products and services. It often relies on intellectual property rights, such as copyrights and patents, to protect and monetize creative works. Additionally, it fosters innovation, cultural diversity, and artistic expression, contributing to both economic growth and cultural enrichment in our community. So what you see on this slide is a map I developed using study from the Americans for the Arts showing creative industries in each county along the I-70 and K-10 corridor between Kansas City and Topeka as of 2018. Um, happily, I've spoken to Britt and Sam and they think they can generate updated information related to that. When I worked in Kansas City, we were all very familiar with the concentration of creative industries along the state line road. And if you look at this map, it's very evident right there that that's happening. Johnson County is really capitalized on that. And of course, the discussions today are all about Panasonic and what's gonna happen along this corridor. Lawrence can certainly lean into its strengths in arts and culture in that capacity. Um, the key here is, you know, what, what do we wanna invest in over the next three, five, 10, 15, 20 years? The Parks, Recreation, Arts, and Culture Comprehensive Plan will focus on the unmistakable identity outcome area and formally integrate arts and culture as part of a newly structured city department aligned with the strategic plan. Amanda Golden of Designing Local is serving as a consultant team member with Confluence. As part of the arts and culture community engagement, she is interviewing key arts and culture stakeholders to glean their insights as a stepping stone to inform further community engagement with Confluence at the end of October. She's also reviewing existing policies and programs. She's using the cultural plan as a springboard and developing updated recommendations for this new department. And she will conduct further community engagement in late October to share insights and glean community perspectives on arts and culture for the overarching comprehensive plan. And now I would like to introduce Kim Onspach of Explore Lawrence to talk about arts and culture related tourism. And if you just click on this, it'll advance. Okay, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you, Porter. Good evening, commissioners, city staff. Like Porter said, I'm Kim Onspach, director of Explore Lawrence. So I want to make sure that we're all talking about the same thing when we talk about arts and culture tourism. As Porter mentioned, yes, this is the, tra the traveler that comes in to come to an art gallery, come to a festival, but this traveler is also coming for to not only engage in activities associated with arts and art festivals and exploring museums, but they are also very much interested in wine and cuisine events, and they are very interested in experiencing a community. The Art Tourist not only supports our local arts organization, but it also supports our restaurants and retail establishments. These tourists are especially interested in locally produced goods and services and products and food. They're especially drawn to unique and I would say unmistakable experiences. 
The destinations highly value this traveler because industry research shows that this traveler will typically come into market, they will stay longer, they're going to explore more sites, they really want to immerse themselves in the culture of the, organ of the city. So this is very valuable. So we definitely spend a lot of our time at Explore Lawrence marketing to this traveler. Oh, I went the wrong way. What happened? Porter. I'm stuck. Uh, next. Next. There okay. we go. Thank you. Uh -huh. Which one do I push? That one? Um, yeah, I just hit the, the right, okay. the right That's one. That's what I did. All right. Pardon me. If you have any okay, thank you. I appreciate I that. I know. I appreciate that about you. All right. So this pie chart shows you about how we deploy our marketing budget, which in 2023 was about $330,000. So you'll see here that our Arts Explore Lawrence focuses our marketing category not only in a data-driven way, but we also pay attention to what we call marketing personas. And this is an interest and affinity category and how we target our digital ads and how we track our consumer. If you look at this, you'll see that our arts and culture, that little reddish-orange slice, that percentage of our budget is about 12.3%. It is our third highest just behind college sports fanatic, but I will say this category gives us a lot more um, impact for our dollar. The way we deploy this category is a lot less expensive than other ways we market to that college sports fanatic. They're a little bit, they're harder to get to, really. Not harder to get to, just more expensive to reach. Um, but if we add in those other affinity categories like live music and that foodie persona, that's going to raise our marketing share of our budget to 25% of our budget is going after specific arts and culture and food-related marketing. And then when you add, we also, I would say, with the branding, which is that half of that blue pie, that's our Unmistakably Lawrence branding campaign. Those marketing efforts rely heavily on our arts and culture in both content messaging and deployment of that cam campaign. And I'm going to end with, so who does come to Lawrence? So this is a slide representing the web traffic to explorelawrence.com from January 2023 through August of 2023. So this um, re represents based on location where people are coming to our website, both in organic search and responding to a paid campaign. This really reflects a good mix of our day tripper market with those longer drive markets. So we have um, a strong regional pull and a strong regional interest and we're getting out to those more overnight markets that are going to be visitors that come in, stay a little bit longer and spend more. But I don't want to discount these day trip markets of Kansas City, Topeka, Overland Park, Wichita, Olathe. Those are people who are going to be coming for our festival. They're going to be coming to shop for the day, and they're going to be our repeat visitor that's really open to coming back and experiencing more. They might come for the art center this time, but they will come back and go to the Spencer Museum. They will learn more about things going on at Theodore Lawrence, and they might come back for a street parade or the Busker Fest. 
So on these drive markets that are reflected on here, like Chicago, Dallas, Denver, they are very good target markets for our arts and culture traveler. We do hit those markets with that message frequently and in a lot of different methods. So here, this is showing just our marketing efforts, support and benefit, both support and benefit from arts and culture in Lawrence. And it is vital and crucial to creating Lawrence's unmistakable identity. Now I will hand it over to Nick. All right. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. My name is Nick Carswell. Uh, I am a musician here in town. I perform with a band called Carswell Hope. Uh, I've had a, a record label named Silly Goose Records. It's been a, a collective and have been organizing in music for some time. Um, very honored to be part of this pre presentation, uh, talking about the Lawrence Music Alliance. Uh, I'm also a field rep for the Kansas Creative Arts Industries Commission, looking at creative industries at the state level. Uh, and that's kind of where um, this new effort, the Lawrence Music Alliance, really got its uh, start. Pre-pandemic, we had a, some conversations at the state level, which is under the Department of Commerce, by the way, um, about music ecosystems and the different work that different cities around the country are doing in supporting their music ecosystem. That can expand to looking at, at things. Another way to describe that is the nighttime economy. Kim already just mentioned how restaurants and um, tourism and activities and especially things that happen in the evening have the economic impact and how they relate to the music ecosystem. Um, and it's kind of it's a very interesting, exciting field. Lots of cities are doing some new things to uh, to support their music ecosystem and um, in partnership with the wider uh, community. So understanding uh, a lot of it is data. I really appreciate all that data as well. I would like to dive in further, but a lot of it is data-driven, understanding the, the impact, how to measure it, what policies and uh, strategies, uh, what changes and impact they can have on those outcomes. So I'll, I'll come back to music ecosystems generally, but the Lawrence Music Alliance is really a result of that conversation happening here in Lawrence while I'm also uh, kind of a bridge between Lawrence and the state, but the fact that I live here, make music here, enjoy music here, enjoy arts and culture, um, Lawrence is kind of emerging as a leader uh, in this effort. So we've mentioned our vision, which is on the slide, about um, a vibrant and thriving music scene. Uh, we, we do mention the city specifically in uh, our early drafts of, of vision and missions uh, statements. We really, this effort has only been kind of formalized this calendar year, since early in 2023. But uh, on the back of conversations with the Economic Development Director, Brick Comcano, Porter, uh, and, and uh, Arts and Culture, and a lot of other community partners. So Lawrence Music Alliance is really around the organizing of the of the artist, if you'd like, in this context. I think that that is one way that that makes sense, is to organize the musicians. It's kind of, there hasn't been a whole lot of organization uh, or support for the music industry. Even some of those stats are specific to nonprofit. Uh, music tends to fall between the gaps a little bit. Very, very unlikely that a musician or performer would be a nonprofit. Some of them don't even register as LLCs or uh, incorporate as businesses. So it's it's a sector we don't really know very well and uh, we need to do some organizing on. And that's where the Lawrence Music Alliance has started to, to plug in that gap. So 
In addition to our vision and mission statements, uh, we, some of the roles we hope to fulfill are advocating on behalf of musicians, which we can't do unless, of course, we're engaging with them as stakeholders. So we've had uh, various meetings where we ask for feedback, gather data, um, gather those anecdotal stories, and, and listen to the constituents, m mainly musicians. Um, we're also hoping to offer a consulting role where we can be available to the community at large, anyone who wants to understand how music impacts their lives or how they can add music or benefit from the addition of music. Uh, that consulting role is something the Music Alliance hopes to fulfill. And then we're developing supports to actually um, to train, uh, create professional development opportunities, networking. Um, and all the while, we're staying collect connected to the strategic development of these wider um, music ecosystem, nighttime economy, these efforts that, again, a lot of very interesting and exciting things are happening in communities all across the country. Along the way, we've also been able to pilot some, pilot some programming. Even just this year, we partnered with the Arts and um, Parks and Rec, excuse me, for the city's Fourth of July celebration, Summerfest, which was at the Douglas County Fairgrounds. We were able to connect and uh, identify musicians, so musicians got hired. We also were able to do some uh, behind the scenes around connecting with the, the infrastructure needed for a large event like that, and it was a very successful event. We hope to be able to grow. Uh, and along the way, do things correctly and to the best standards of the industry and hire musicians. Another example is connecting national uh, efforts, such as the National Independent Venue Association has a, has a workforce development program called the VOX program. It's Venue Operational Experience. Um, through those connections, we were actually able to bring that program to Lawrence. So the Granada is participating in that, which is funded from, from that organization, national funding. And an intern will be have a paid internship and and the venue uh, is actually compensated to bring new uh, members into the workforce and give them that training. So that's just some of the work that the Music Alliance is doing. Another pilot program was Mixed Master, which I say was because it was the weekend before last. Uh, it's, this is a program I've been running. Um, this is the 10th year. It was our first year in person. I did It did move to Kansas City for some time, um, but happy to have it back at Lawrence Public Library. We had about 100 folks show up, a lot of new faces, a lot of younger um, younger people who want to get involved in the music industry. So a lot of peer-to-peer -peer training, networking, uh, explaining how you can have good impact with your music, how you can do more with your music. Uh, it's kind of a one-day, one-stop shop for the programming we're hoping to create throughout the entire year. That was funded by a community arts grant from the Lawrence Cultural Arts Commission, also some economic development funding from the Economic Development Department, and uh, matching funds from KCAIC, the Kansas Creative Arts Industries Commission, that statewide body. Um, I think I should go to the next slide. There we go. So just some of the uh, things we've been doing so far this year. Uh, Lawrence Music Alliance will form as a nonprofit, and we hope to continue with, and I would like to thank uh, both the Economic Development Department, Arts and Culture, Porter, um, Craig, Brick Crumb Kano, um, and for bouncing some ideas together and really supporting this. It's important to us that this comes, that's a public initiative. We're organizing the musicians, but we believe the city has a crucial role to play in this. And the city is the only entity that can play that role. We can do organizing and we can um, do the best we can, but uh, the public aspect of it is crucially important, which does fold nicely to the statewide effort then. So I do work with the Kansas Creative Arts Industries Commission. Also, uh, the, where we started with this context around music ecosystems, we're very interested in understanding what music ecosystems can do for communities. Um, 
I know from moving around the state a little bit and to speak in different communities, every community, uh, city, or otherwise approaches this slightly differently. Every every uh, community is different in terms of what they bring, uh, in terms of cultural output, and also what they can do to support music and uh, really amplify it. I think as we look at our unmistakable identity, the idea that Lawrence is a music city, we're looking at what that really means. We're looking at what it means to be a music city and what role we can all play in that collectively. And really, the at the state level, this is uh, lots of individual conversations and convenings, while also referring to some of those uh, best practices and those uh, good ideas that we can borrow, steal, uh, alter, amend, and appropriate to make our own uh, that makes most sense for our community here. So at the state level, we are very interested in, in um, supporting this work, and Lawrence, uh, thankfully, is a leader, uh, both in the work that we're doing and the, the way that we're approaching it as a collaborative eff effort from various sectors. So we look to continue that, and I think anything that we learn here in Lawrence can potentially be replicated and be shared uh, across the state through the Creative Arts Industries Commission. So, thank you. Back to you, Porter. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Kim and Nick. And uh, I have to do one shameless plug. <laughs> the Phoenix Awards is the annual, or it has been the annual awards for um, artistic achievement that's happening October 15th. I promise the Art Commission I give a plug. Um, it's always a great event. Mayor Larson will be there to help hand out the awards, so I'm looking forward to that. So that completes our presentation. Happy to answer any questions that you might have. All right, thank you very much for that presentation. Any questions or for the presenters from the commission? Um, yeah, I noticed the uh, music collectives and things of that sort. I wonder if, uh, if we had any information about any other organized efforts in other venues of art other than music in town. Uh, um, uh, visual artists or anything have they collectivized as well that's a great question and I would say you know Nick mentioned it's interesting that music tends to sort of slide through the gaps um, because obviously the art the art center is, is significant in arts and you know visual arts and dance and theater and performance and that type of thing theater Lawrence certainly fills a big niche in this community as well so we have a lot of that stuff in place not to mention the um, I'm looking at Daniel here the chair of the art commission um, the programs of the cultural arts commission has been um, um, administering over decades outdoor downtown sculpture exhibition um, different things like that, community arts grants. So we're all influencing all of that, but music tends to not quite hit the mark the same way. So we are filling those gaps, I think, really, really well. There's always room for improvement, but I really think, you know, through these partners, we're really doing great work in those areas. And now it's a matter of leaning into the music side and then finding some sort of balance in all of that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Um, I, I do. It, it may not be exactly what you intended to talk about today, but since we have Explorer Lawrence here and you, Porter, how are we or how are you planning with this uh, upcoming round of transient guest tax, planning to leverage that towards our um, goals here, our um, performance indicators? Um. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We, we're actually get you know, one thing to point out, like the um, Phoenix Awards, this is the first time we've done this since 2019. As you guys know, everything got walloped by, the, and especially arts and culture got walloped by the pandemic. So we're now getting together. We actually have a fairly new TGT grant advisory board. We are convening them, I think, next week, if I'm not mistaken. It took a while to get everybody on board to look at those guidelines and things, and we are going to adapt those guidelines according to, happily, the the 
the way we had it adapted, I think, aligns pretty well with our current strategic plan. This is the first effort we've really made to take a look at that more earnestly. So um, we plan to do that. We have not done that yet. We need to work with the board on that process, too. Thank and Kim's you. certainly going to be a voice in that as well. Great. Cool. Any, anything else for Porter? Okay, we'll open it up to public comment at this time. Any public comment from the audience on this specific item? If not, then we'll go to Zoom. Chris Flowers. Yeah, I was just thinking when you talk about uh, mute the music scene, um, I have a I've I've had numerous friends that are in the music scene and a lot of people I know a lot of people that like to listen to music like live music and something a lot of them like are also drugs so if you want to talk about the music scene maybe you should think about what kind of drug laws could you all lax to get some of the people to want to come come here and I, I remember when we used to have the Wakarusa music festival and there was a lot of drugs going on there and I'm just thinking if, if you all like if, well I mean we need the state to legalize marijuana but you all could also decriminalize magic mushrooms that might get some people to want to come to Lawrence you know come check out the music scene because you know mushrooms they can make it a little bit better so just just throwing that out there thank you you know the public comment on zoom no mayor all right bring it back to the commission any final thoughts oh yeah just thank you guys for the presentation it's really, it was really informative and i appreciate it yep thank you very much i do appreciate the coordination and the collaboration that's going on it's so important that that is our community partners that we are working together towards that common goal and I appreciate I see that more each time we have one of these presentations how our community is really coming together on it I have to give a nod to our unmistakable identity champion over here I Mr. Rogers definitely so and doing a great job of that definitely so thank you thank you all thank you very much we're going to take a quick break. Um, commissioners have been at it since five, so we need a little, little break. Um, give us about ten minutes, okay? <laughs> I've threatened that many times. Need that bit quick for other reasons. Oh yeah, that's not reflecting. That's reflecting a lot. Oh okay. I'm just being sassy. <laughs> All right, we're back. And we move on to our regular agenda. We'll start with item number one, which is conduct a public hearing on the establishment of a neighborhood revitalization area and community improvement district for the Turn Hall building project. Continuing the public hearing at the November 14th, 2023 City Commission meeting once final third party analysis has been completed. Sam, hi. Yeah, uh, Sam Camp, Economic Development Analyst for the City of Lawrence. Um, so this item, like the agenda says, um, it's just to open the hearing and then continue the hearing until November 14th once we have that third party analysis. Okay, thank you very much. So I hereby open the public hearing and I ask for a motion to continue uh, the public hearing to November 14th, 2023 at the City Commission meeting. I move to continue the public hearing um, to the November 14th City Commission meeting. Second. second. I have a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Passes four to zero.
All right, we're on to item number two, which is to receive an update on homelessness response initiatives. Good evening, Mayor Commissioners. Uh, Danny Walters with Planning and Development Services. Um, I have a very short purpose here this evening, and that is to go ahead and introduce uh, our new Homeless Programs Coordinator, which is uh, Misty Bosch Hastings. Uh, Misty's been with us since middle of July, and uh, she really hit the ground running about the minute she started, it seems like. Um, she came to us from the Topeka Rescue Mission, where she uh, was the Director of Guest Services, and she worked extensively with um, housing programs and then case management at the Rescue Mission. Um, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Misty for a short overview of the work that uh, the team has been undertaking, as well as kind of where we still need to go, um, and uh, just kind of some of the other stuff that we have in process. So, Misty, it's all yours. Thank you, Danny. Uh, thank you, commissioners and Madam Mayor for allowing me to be present tonight and give you an update. Um, I'm Misty Bosch Hastings, Homeless Project Coordinator for the City of Lawrence. I apologize, I cannot be there in person uh, this evening. I am in Washington, D.C., attending the Built for Zero conference, learning more about how Built for Zero methodology works and how we can use it to improve and create better homeless response systems in our community. Um, since it's my first time before you, I want to give you a little background about myself. Um, I have several years of experience creating solutions to ending homelessness at the state and nonprofit level. Um, for several years, I provided oversight of federal and state programs around homelessness outreach and emergency housing. In the nonprofit sector, I worked in a homeless shelter and developed a very successful housing program. In my first year of housing individuals, we had a goal of 80, and we were able to double that number, housing more than 160 people. After one year, those 160 individuals being housed, 158 remained housed, which is about a 98.75% success rate. Um, in year two of housing folks was about a 95% success rate. Um, I came to Lawrence when I joined the Board of Directors for LCS in 2022, and I realized pretty quickly that there were some great opportunities in Lawrence, um, a real potential to end chronic homelessness in our community. I heard city managers say during one commission meeting I was watching that if anyone is an expert to reach out, so I did. Um, I've now been here for two months. Sorry, I've now been here for two months and I'm even more excited than before. In all my years of experience in the homeless field, I've never seen a, a city or county work together so well, um, never seen a community so committed and willing to invest in creating solutions like Lawrence, like Lawrence and Douglas County. Um, I feel the tools and resources are here and I'm grateful that I get to be a part of the solution. Um, the city has also contracted with Barry Feeker, CEO of Compassion Strategies. Uh, Mr. Feeker will provide technical expertise and guidance based on his 36-year career developing and leading emergency sheltering and homelessness recovery programs in Topeka. Uh, Barry Feeker and I are working together to create Lawrence-Douglas County Homelessness Coalition so we can listen to the concerns of the community as we work to develop solutions. 
Barry has a wealth of knowledge around all things homelessness and is well respected by lawmakers. We will look to him as we think about encouraging the state of Kansas to develop laws around communities transporting individuals experiencing homelessness to other communities where they have no natural supports, services, or orientation with the new community they have been placed in. Uh, we hope to introduce you all to Mr. Feeker during an October commission meeting. The Housing Initiatives Division is also working with Burt Nash leadership to ensure the fulfillment of the contract commitments we have with the homeless outreach team. The services provided through the homeless outreach team contract are critical to connect unhoused community members to shelter and services that enable their recovery from homelessness. The homeless outreach team contract also provides support for city initiatives including Camp New Beginnings and housing initiatives, division support for residents, businesses, and City of Lawrence employees. These discussions have led to Burt Nash now having two staff members on site at Camp New Beginnings six hours per day, Monday through Friday. As we continue building our team and strengthening our capacity through partnerships, we will communicate those changes to our various stakeholders and audiences, such as providers, neighborhood stakeholders, and the business community. Um, update on Pallet Shelter Village. Since early 2023, the city has worked to construct and prepare for the operation of a new emergency shelter utilizing Pallet Shelter cabins. Construction continues to move forward and operational planning is in progress for the village, which provides 50 new non-congregate shelter beds. R.D. Johnson and Randall Electric are under contract to complete site preparation and this work is underway. A shelter operations plan is in development. Discussion of the plan will be completed with the Pinckney Neighborhood Stakeholder Group to address neighborhood interests and concerns before it is finalized. Staff will be engaging service providers who will be involved in care coordination for the people sheltering at the village. Communications planning is underway to explore how best to communicate about the continuing work on this project. Um, update on Lawrence Community Shelter. The City, County, and Lawrence Community Shelter Board of Directors announced on September 6, 2023, a proposal to excuse me, restructure the LCS Board of Directors. This proposal would establish shared governance in anticipation of additional public investments to provide stability for LCS and enhance sheltering capacity in the community. Under this proposal, the City Commission will appoint three board members, the County Commission will appoint two board members and two currently serving board members will remain on the board. A revision of the LCS board bylaws is being drafted and the new LCS board of directors is anticipated to be in place in approximately eight weeks. The new LCS board of directors will explore opportunities for additional technical support and leadership to help LCS fulfill its mission as a shelter provider. Update on Pinckney Communications. City staff have periodically updated the Pinckney Neighborhood Stakeholder Group about the Pallet Shelter Village Project. Moving forward, we are upping communications um, to increase the flow of information with these stakeholders. We are continuing conversations with Pinckney Neighborhood with emailed updates every seven to nine business days and responses to questions um, from that neighborhood within two business days. 
we will provide a broader focus to include information about homeless response services. This will inform neighbors about the broader strategic plan and capacity development in key parts of the service system. A communications calendar for neighborhoods Pinckney and beyond is in development as well. Our communications will emphasize two priority messages to these neighborhoods. Uh, priority one being safe sheltering plan that reflects a broader system of support and priority two, building increased capacity for services for those in need. This matrix of support includes multiple city and county departments, as well as service providers with, within the homeless response team. Um, we have also sent out a doodle poll recently to these neighborhoods and, and individuals involved to find a time for us all to meet uh, next week and to receive input as we work to finalize an operations plan for pallet shelter. Um, and lastly, update on the by name list. Um, just uh, if there's anybody that's not familiar with this, uh, by name list is a comprehensive list of people in our community experiencing homelessness. Um, helping agencies meet people where they are, obtain their consent, and create a file for each person that includes their name, uh, homeless history, health, and housing needs. A by name list is exactly what it sounds like. It's getting to know every one of our homeless neighbors by name and creating that ownership and understanding in our community that this is a member of our community that we're trying to help. By maintaining a by name list, we're able to track the ever-changing size and composition of our homeless population. It allows us to have current and detailed information on our homeless neighbors. In January 2023, the same month that our point in time count revealed we had 351 sheltered and unsheltered neighbors experiencing homelessness, the by name list was at 105. That list is now at 278 as Lawrence Community Shelter, the City of Lawrence, Burt Nash, and other helping agencies work to complete assessments and get a more accurate list. Statewide Homeless Coalition dedicates a staff person to focus on this deliverable under contract with Douglas County. Um, local helping agencies that serve the unhoused population meet each week reviewing the full by name list and complete case conferencing. Uh, both of these activities contribute, contribute to improving data quality and accuracy as the updates are put into the homeless management information system, which houses the by name list. This will lead to better quality data as individuals added to the list exit homelessness. Is there anything else, Misty? There's not, that's all I have for now. Okay, all right, thank you very much. Any questions for Misty or staff? Um, just a quick one on that by name list, Misty. And I, I know the county is working on it. Uh, do we have, and I know that this is just a preliminary update and we'll have a more substantive one in October. Um, do we have a timeline on when they're gonna be able to compile all that information? So I, I think that's a, a difficult uh, question to answer because um, compiling all that data is probably never going to really end. It's something that as um, homelessness uh, changes, you know, if people are entering homelessness 
um, from just being housed like we see daily, that's just a number that we're adding to the list. So I don't think that there's a an end date that we will ever actually read just going to be a matter of continuing to do good outreach and building relationships with the individuals and gaining enough confidence and trust from them that they're willing to give us that information and be added to the by name list. Um, well, yes, I, I, I probably misspoke. I didn't really mean end date, but a first date when it would be outward facing and we could actually, you know, kind of um, begin the continual process of what you said. They have not given us a, a date as of yet. Mayor, if I if I may, mm -hmm. um, Misty, would would you be able to talk a little bit about how the by name list is is currently being utilized um, with case conferencing? Sure. Um, so currently, um, individuals are given an assessment and they're given a vulnerability score. So um, then based on um, the score of the individual, um, we are going over that list um, from someone who is deemed most vulnerable at the top of our list. And we there all the service providers that are involved in serving this population are present weekly to discuss those individuals and their needs. Um, and then everybody that's on that list is, is um, discussed at that time. And Mayor, I just asked that question just to kind of illustrate um, that 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 is, it is an ongoing process and it, it's a process that will be maintained um, really into perpetuity. Um, but the, the utility of that list is being realized um, currently, which is a, a, a big improvement compared to just a year ago, probably. Um, and so to be able to have now a couple hundred people on the by name list that are going through case conferencing on a weekly basis with providers is a, is a really good sign of progress. Thank you, that's, that's good. So I have a few questions, um, kind of broken it down into buckets. I want to start with the pallet, uh, pallet village. Um, I don't know if you'd mentioned, Misty, I didn't catch it, as to when we think the pallet village will be open. What, do we have a date or a time frame? I don't believe we have a date at this time. Um, we are finalizing the operations plan right now, but um, we are meeting with the Pinckney neighborhood next week to Know, make sure that we have their input and um, suggestions before we finalize that, and that would be the next step to opening the pallet. Okay, so as far as the building of the pallet village, I know that's ongoing right now. When do we think that will be co completed? Mm, I'm going to defer that to Danny. Do you know, do we have a date of... Um, we we don't have a specific date at this time only because we are, as mentioned, in the middle of the site prep with um, our contractors. We also do have to schedule with the pallet build team to come and assemble the, the um, structures. So um, pieces are falling into place right now and kind of as soon as we can figure out from contractors when we will be ready to do the assembly, we can get that scheduled with pallet and then everything kind of moves forward from then. So 
um, the pieces are in motion, but I, in, in terms of like a, a firm date, I, we don't have one of those. I don't think I'm asking for a firm date, but I would like to get an idea. Is it this year, next year? I mean, a few months from now? I mean, what's what's the goal? Is the goal to be up and running by winter, or is it um, is it some other time frame? The goal is certainly to be up and running by winter. By so. November sometime? No, November is is what we're shooting for. Okay, got it. Okay, thanks. Um, my understanding is is that the city will be operating the village. Um, is that still correct? Since we haven't gotten any responses from RFQs or RFIs, is that correct? That we we hope that that is not the case. Do you have anything online or any contacts or information that? Um, we did have a contact from an individual who was a um, former attorney in Lawrence, and um, we are having some discussions with that individual. Okay. So the operations plan that, that you've um, spoke about, and this, I know staff has been working on that pretty hard recently. Um, can you give us an idea when that will be available for public viewing? I know you're going to get with the Pinckney neighborhood, but when will it be available to be released to the public? Um, my hope would be mid-October. Okay. Okay, let's see. So once we get the village up and running, will there be camping allowed outside of it like is, is happening at the New Beginnings Camp right now? Um, and my vision for this would be no, that that would not be happening. Um, you know, we are expanding capacity to try to create a place for everyone, which means, you know, hopefully that individuals just aren't camping outdoors anymore. Okay. And that will be enforced through our police department or will it be something um, with other staff members? I mean, I think it would need to be enforced with the current ordinances. Okay, got that. Um, and I know that part of the Pallet Village is to, um, so, so our wraparound services through our social programs can have access in, in the village itself. And my understanding is there are actually going to be some buildings there that they can operate out of. Can, can you tell me if we've had commitments from our social, social services that they will be there on a regular basis to, to provide those wraparound services? We do have, um, we have had verbal commitments uh, so far, and we are working on actually getting uh, MOUs in place as well. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and I'm assuming that they're going to be there every day. Um, Yes, just like, yeah, just for example, like Burt Nash's now, we have a contract with them um, where they are on effective yesterday, actually, they're at um, the campsite, support site, three hour, uh, six hours a day total. Okay. And what are they doing while at the, at the support camp? Right now, they're um, basically just relationship building with the individuals that are out there trying to gain trust um, so that 
um, you know, they have a relationship with these individuals so that when we look to, you know, start working on a housing plan for these individuals, that this person um, has that connection with them and builds trust with them that, you know, hopefully they will take some of the suggestions and um, of that uh, service provider from Burt Nash. Okay, thank you. I've got some more questions. Um, if, if, if others have questions, I don't want to take it all. Okay, I'll, I'll continue then. Um, I have some questions about the camping um, situation. So do we have an idea as to how the closure of the New Beginnings Camp will be um, phased in, or will it be once the Pallet Village is open, will the, the camp then be closed at that point in time? I think um, we haven't really been focused on a date for closing the camp, but more our priority is to work with each individual to move them to proper housing out of the camp. Um, you know, focusing on, on the individuals and getting them somewhere um, safe. Um, that, that's kind of been our focus. Um, the end goal, I would love to see that that camp is closed. Um, and that nobody has to sleep outside. And that's kind of our plan for creating capacity is it so that that does not have to, to continue. So we don't have a, once that pallet village is built, we're, at that point in time, it's gonna be um, illegal to, to, to camp in this new beginning camp or anywhere. Is that, is that not the case? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Yeah, so when the pallet village is ready to go, when we're starting to house folks in the pallet village, are we at that point in time, say that camping is no longer allowed at camp beginnings as well as throughout the community, and that we start enforcing it at that point in time? My, I, I believe that the, where they're camping is actually not illegal. Is that right, Brandon? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Mayor, I can maybe respond to that. Um, the I, city code allows for camping in the uh, public, public property zone in the CD district, downtown district. So that is the, the um, parcels there in North Lawrence. Um, if there is not enough shelter or enough beds at, at a shelter. Um, and so with Pallet Shelter Village, we'll have um, now an additional 50 beds. Um, currently at Lawrence Community Shelter, there's um, approximately 100 overnight beds plus 25, 25 or so um, kind of long-term beds. Um, and so working within that capacity, I think you know, that's where we're going to try to locate people um, who are gonna be seeking shelter. Um, you know, Misty said earlier, there's a couple hundred now on the by name list um so i think it'll it'll probably be a little bit of an iterative situation um but we will be working to get people off the street like misty said get a housing plan for folks and get them working towards sheltering housing some better option than living in a campsite okay so if there's bed availability out at the community shelter, um, it's my, my understanding from past conversations about the various laws is that if we didn't have a bed out the shelter, then we um, couldn't enforce the, the illegal camping aspect of it. But if we have beds available, which we do now, is there a reason why we can't move forward with enforcing that? 
Well, I not I mean, no, there's no reason why why not. It's a matter of I mean, really what it comes down to it's a matter of practicality. We'll fill the beds up. You know, the overnight shelter opened at seven tonight. We could have them filled here in about an hour if we really tried. Um, but that wouldn't be enough. So, um, so it, it it really is. I think just a matter of um, uh, work. You know, working within the population that's going to actually go into sheltering, um, getting them there, trying to stabilize them there, and understanding what the additional need is. Currently, and it and it's always been you know, this way that that camping, except for the one property, you know, the city mm -hmm. property in North Lawrence, is prohibited. Um, and so, really, our our um, approach has been more of a complaint basis and mm -hmm. or an ad needed base, basis um, with camping around playgrounds or park shelters or other uh, more highly utilized areas. Um, so there is quite a bit of kind of ad hoc enforcement, if you will, where we, we have to go in and uh, help relocate somebody out of their current campsite, um, a park shelter or a park facility or some other um, location and help them find a different, a different location. Sometimes that's the shelter, sometimes it's Camp New Beginnings. Those are the options that we recommend, um, but we can't, we can't necessarily at this point compel somebody to go there. So uh, did I hear you right that it's complaint driven? That, that's been our approach, yes. Okay. Like in, in some proactive work as well. If we see uh, new campsites popping up, um, then we're, then we're pretty quick to intervene. Um, and so, you know, where, where we can see it. Um, so especially in some of our more highly visible parks, it's pretty easy to tell when somebody's um, established a new campsite. And so uh, there've been many instances over the last year or two um, where we've kind of proactively city staff working with Bird Nash Homeless Outreach Team, some of our other partners have intervened in, um, gotten folks out of those locations and, and encourage them to go either to Camden Beginnings or the shelter. Okay. Okay. Um, I know we're working on an overall plan for enforcement of the camping rule. Is that, is that correct? I think that's what I heard. Um, yes. It, I mean, it, it, I, I would say it's more of a strategy. I mean, I, I, Sorry. Excuse me. Would you folks be, be appreciated if you'd be quiet while we're trying to, to get information from staff? Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I would just ask Misty maybe to talk a little bit more about you know, the, the approach of working with somebody who is experiencing homelessness, in sure. some cases long term, some cases decades, and trying to get somebody in that situation in, to go in, in, and pursue services and seek housing, seek shelter. Um, she's had a lot of success um, just a couple of miles down the road. I know, I know yeah. yeah. Um, and it can be done, but it's, it's not, I don't think it boils down to a simple transaction of enf like enforcement transaction. I think it, it is, you know, if we're going to do it in a way that's more consistent with our uh, values here um, and the type of, um, uh, the, I guess the type of commitments that we've made, it's really trying to get people 
uh, the services and the uh, facilities that they need. Each individual is going to be a little bit different. Uh, but I might ask Missy just to talk about okay. that process a little bit more. How do you work with somebody to get them off the street and into shelter and housing? Thank you. Well, um, yeah, I just, I would like to think that um, now that we have the resources, the space, um, there's, and you know, the support from Burt Nash, that we wouldn't have to uh, make this happen by using the police department. Um, I, I believe that we will be able to move them successfully with um, practices that work, um, relationship building. Um, there's about 27 individuals right now at the camp. Um, and from what I've heard, there's several who are looking forward to a, a different housing situation um, outside of a tent. So I, I believe that we're going to have a pretty good um, success rate just working with these individuals. And that's, that's why Burt Nash is there on site now to start that relationship building and to speak to them about you know what what they want what what does ne next steps look like for them um, it's my vision that we kind of concentrate on one camp at a time and this camp would be first so as we start to build relationships you know we're doing it right here where you know the public eye is and and a lot of individuals are upset about that and you know it's our job to to try to keep folks happy as possible and to take care of folks that that need it and this vulnerable population so um, this definitely will be our priority as we try to get folks moved out of homelessness and then um, I think we you know will uh, have the bandwidth to then tackle other camps throughout the community um, the larger camps and and then just kind of keep it an open door for anybody that that wants to get off the streets as well but it does take time and relationship building um, but I, I do believe that there's a big uh, part of this population just right at the support site that are ready to make a move okay thank you um, one more question regarding uh, the, the camping situation. Um, so hearing you earlier, Misty, talk about the, the name list, the by name list, where we've got 278 people on that list now. Um, uh, I remember back last fall when the program was getting started at that point that when we'd come across a new individual who was homeless in our community that we would talk with them about why they're here where they came from and at that point in time i was told that we were trying to get them back to where they came from versus just having them be here is that program still in place is it being developed more that is a that is a best practice to try to get individuals reconnected to where they have natural supports and services um, and, and the caveat to that is that we have to have individuals who are willing to make that warm handoff to, for wherever they came from. Um, I was speaking to a business owner recently and she was telling me about somebody she found who was from a, a town nearby um, and she was trying to connect him back to um, his family um, but that again is a purpose that Burt Nash uh, homeless outreach team can serve and that is definitely something that we would want to do and continue to do okay 
So that's still a practice is that we're trying to connect them back from where they came from. Is that true? Yes. Yes. It is. Okay, great. I guess I do have a, another, another question. Um, as we all know, and we've read that that we've we've got evidence that um, various communities are bringing the homeless to Lawrence and um, dropping them off various various locations. Is is there any um, engagement with those communities or anything that we can do to discourage that more? Or um, any thoughts on that? How we're handling that? Yes. Um, so I kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, I, honestly, there is no laws against um, that that type of thing, but it, it is it is really bad bad neighbors. Um, so we we do try to address that every opportunity we get, um, and you know there is a responsibility to individuals that are experiencing mental illness that. Um, that they're cared for by their catchment area. So every mental health center covers a you know, certain catchment area that they're responsible for, like Bert Nash is responsible for Douglas County. So if um, if it's on, if it's you know, say Bert Nash tries to send someone to Topeka, you know, that's something that they cannot do without a warm handoff, without Topeka agreeing to to accept this person and so what we would like to look at doing um, and that's something that we would like to use Mr. Barry Feeker for is to talk to our lawmakers about making something like that um, illegal um, because they are just dropping them in places where they don't have any natural supports, they're not connected for medication needs. Um, we just experienced, we're experiencing this right now with somebody who was just dropped in the community from uh, I believe it was Franklin County Hospital, um, and the individual is um, kind of just wandering around loosely. We've just gotten um, Kansas Department for Aging and Disability Services involved and in just trying to figure out and, and to let that uh, organization know what's going on and to try to help this person um, best we can to get them back to where their natural supports are. Okay. Thank you. Mayor, I might just yeah. add, um, I know uh, our city manager, Craig Owens, um, police chief Rich Lockhart, some of our counterparts at Douglas County, um, whenever we do hear that there's kind of a peer um, from a different jurisdiction who's been involved in that sort of behavior, uh, we confront that directly with them. Um, I know I will be attending, I believe a couple commissioners will be attending League of Kansas Municipalities Conference here in a couple weeks. There is, uh, we're actually just notified today about a large cities um, uh, forum. Um, homelessness is gonna be discussed there. Um, I sent an email earlier, earlier today saying uh, that, that I think this topic should be discussed by large cities and, and um, we should take a position to encourage small cities to advocate for the services that they need in their own communities and do that with their state legislate uh, state representatives and senators um, i think that they have uh, just as much interest if they would stop and think about about the effects um, that that type of behavior has on the people um, who you know they're responsible for providing some care for in their own communities so i look forward to having some of those conversations down in wichita um, i'm sure some of you will as well Sure. Thanks for that update. I appreciate it, Brendan. Okay, I've just got one last, I promise this is the last one for now. Um, 
so uh, Misty, you had indicated that the structure, the board structure at the community shelter is being um, worked on as far as rewriting the bylaws and getting the structure to align with what was agreed to. Um, and you said that eight weeks, was that eight weeks from the time that we originally um, um, brought this forward to the board and they had indicated they were interested or is we still eight weeks out from today for getting that done? I believe it was eight weeks from our meeting date because we have a, a, a meeting at the end of this month that I, I think might be a step in finalizing this the board. Okay, so we're looking at the very first part of November then. I believe so. Okay, all right, thank you very much. Um, that's it for right now. Any other questions for staff? Uh, I just had a quick one uh, on the Pallet Shelter Village. Uh, Misty, uh, in, as part of the operations, will there be any opportunities to include any uh, any folks with lived experience in terms of um, how the site is operated and how it functions? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Yeah, that is something we definitely want. A uh, couple questions. Um, I know we've obviously we have a kind of a, a community-wide plan. We've been working on implementing parts of that. Just trying to get some updates on on, for example, you know what impact have you felt? And I know you've only been here two months, but the impact of the TLC opening ha have had on any of your work. Well. Um yeah, I, to be honest, I've only had a, a couple um, individuals that I've been aware of that have have gone there for stabilization. Um, not being in direct service myself, um, I don't hear about a lot of the the um, successes or or any stories of TRC. Anything else? And and okay, I know we're getting the, we talked a little bit earlier about the crisis response team, but the mobile crisis team and the, the top 10 list that uh, the chief talked about last week, um, kind of talk about any, any impact of it all on those sorts of initiatives. Not in, um, not in anything that I've seen. Um, so far in the work that I've been doing has that um, interacted with that with that work either. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions for staff? And we'll not we'll open it up to public comment. All right, open it up to public comment. Anybody who would like to discuss this item, you have three minutes. I good to go. Yeah, um, I'm Brian Sims. Um, so I want to talk about and address what I refer to as, uh, I think a lot of us do, the uh, track camp behind Amtrak. So you guys were mentioning earlier that it's illegal to camp in, is that CS zoning? CD. I think that's CD. I think that's OS over there. Um, and there's hundreds or a hundred or so people in and out constantly. So I own 633 New York, which I had purchased that. Uh, one, because of the zoning, it being industrial, and two, a couple years ago, you guys, we had plans for 2024 to turn that into a river walk and kayak launches. Um, so I kind of gambled on that. It's obviously gone completely the opposite way. Um, at this point, I'm, there is a house on that property, and I've lost the tenant 
who's citing safety concerns. Um, there's been more than one police report there. There's been vandalism, broken windows, um, theft, plenty of theft, um, physical altercations, threats, um, all of that. So I guess for me, I'm not, you know, there is no oversight there. And these are people that with the camps we do have available or the homeless shelter, they're not willing to go there. So when you open a new pallet village, who's or how do you have an understanding of these people willing to move there? Um, because they already don't with the resources we have. So, um, you know, for me, it's just, it, it, you know, I think you're breaking your own laws. I think it's chapter 14, article four, where it is illegal to camp, right? Um, but you guys aren't just turning a blind eye. You're enhancing the, the land. You've opened up a city spigot that I have video of one of the individuals breaking and then you guys repairing it. You've had porta potties out there, fencing, dumpsters. That's all enhancement to land. That's the definition of it. Um, and to me, that's enabling. We know drugs are being used down there. There's violence. Um, so it, we're talking about building more, which and they will come. But that issue of that camp is not being dealt with at all. So I guess, and I'll end with, you know, my question, and I don't need an answer to it because I don't think you guys have one, but I guess it's more of a comment, you know, who's, is me as a taxpaying citizen and a law-abiding citizen, I now have financial loss due to not having a renter being in there in anymore because of safety concerns that is due to the enablement and the enhancement of the land. So I'll end with that. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Good evening, Commissioners. Ted Boyle, North Lawrence Improvement Association. And uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. <clears throat> I've got probably 20, 25 documents <clears throat> of citizens that have had uh, interaction with the transients. And I have heard nothing this evening uh, that differentiate between uh, transient and a local homeless. And the local homeless is a very small number and the transient population is well over 300 and as some of you know I do have an informant on these camps so I know how many people live in certain camps and uh, the transients are the problem they are the problem they do not want to be housed they do not want to be uh, any rules regulations of society uh, they just want to be there and take the free stuff and the deal is North Lawrence is not a welcoming community <clears throat> to the transients. The local homeless, North Lawrence Improvement, we probably give uh, 100 to 150 pounds of food a month out of my shop to the local homeless, not the transients. And these transient camps, especially the one down at the boat ramp, have been called in numerous times and I know the bicycle club has also and nothing has been done so the lack of enforcement there's no enforcement and I can tell you the police department want to do their job and yet they can't because you have restricted them and that is what the word is 
So, uh, and this, these campers, these transients, there's a woman on Maple lives along the track. She's a single mother with two teenage junior high girls, and she is worried. And these transients sleep on her front lawn, and she has to come out on the front porch with a shotgun to get them moved off their property, off her property. That is the only thing they understand. And by the time they call the police, they're gone, and they go right across the tracks on the north side of Maple, and there's a wooded area over there and an abandoned house, and they're in there, and you do nothing. You do nothing for the taxpayer and the legal citizens. And I'll tell you, <clears throat> the businesses in North Lawrence, they're up to here with it. The residents, they're up to here. We're tired of it. You can't walk around our neighborhood at night. When the sun goes down, there ain't nothing come out except the cockroaches. And so this has got to quit. And this camp behind Johnny's, this Thank you, Ted. World, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. Has got to go. Ted. Got to go. Hello, good evening. My name is Bob Shum. I'd like to approach the subject of homelessness in a sensible manner, one that recognizes that there are, there are people in Douglas County that need our assistance, and it is my desire to work towards that end. All that being said, I also want the city to provide a safe environment for our citizens in our neighborhoods and our commercial districts. I've lived in Lawrence for 60 years, and from my observation, this situation of homelessness, crime, drug abuse, assaults, is the most serious threat to the well-being of our city that I have ever encountered since I've been here. I have four points I'd like to make this evening. First of all, it is evident that the homeless population has been given a free reign to act outside the norms of good behavior. There needs to be a code of conduct that recipient Recipients of shelter and food services must abide by. Recently, the city put a shower house in place for the residents in the, in the use in the camp at North Lawrence. The first night, the doors were torn off the structure. I could cite other examples, but it is safe to say there are many others. In summation, guests must be held accountable for their actions. Secondly, our police chief has indicated that we, have, uh, we, we are the recipient of out-of-county homeless guests. I suggest that we contact our state delegation and ask them to sponsor a bill that makes it unlawful to transport homeless individuals across county lines for the purpose of homeless services. Number three, the city and county should form an agreement whereby they operate the shelter, the pallet camp, as well as any other homeless facility that is in place in Douglas County. In this manner, adequate funding and strong management will be available to ensure a successful endeavor. Number four, bonding out of jail. Over the course of the last several months, the newspapers carried many stories of individuals who have been arrested, bound out of jail on their signature, and before their court date, has, they've committed another crime, and in some cases, two more crimes. A lot of these crimes are assaults, grand theft. We need to pay more attention and differentiate between minor crimes and major crimes when allowing people to go free from jail in order to keep our streets safe. Overall, some progress has been made, but there seems to be a lack of a strong plan. From my position, it appears that we are losing ground and that this is putting our neighborhoods and downtown in peril. There will have, 
this will have a real negative economic consequence if a workable management plan is not put into play immediately. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Hello, thanks for being here this evening. I just wanna let you know how exhausted mentally and physically I am. We're, we are close to a year with the city sanctioned camp behind our business. Um, at first, the camp was only temporary, said the city. Then twice more, they tell us the camp would be moving. Um, the camp has finally started to weed out the bad actors. It's been, it's been a lot better down there lately. Uh, but those same people moved just on the other side of the fence with the camp having no authority to punish the bad behavior of those people that they just kicked out of that um, very same city-sanctioned camp um, as they're out, out of their realm. They're still giving them food and, and whatever, letting them use the bathrooms there. Just doesn't really make sense. During the setup of our 70th anniversary celebration, we had to call the fire department because of lots of smoke and the smell of burning rubber and trash coming from the unsanctioned camp right outside of the city-sanctioned camp fences. Um, they were burning trash to burn trash, and there's no consequences for those actions. Almost daily I get the police involved. It is almost the same conversation with most of the officers. They have the same feeling of mental and physical exhaustion. Most of what I get back is apologies, apologies for having to be on the front lines. In my business, apologies are great, but it takes action to turn people around and make sure their needs are met and they leave the place happy. And that action is not what I'm seeing from the city. Uh, we, have bad, we have a bad behavior and a safety problem and we need to address before more people get hurt. We need the same accountability you and I would face. We need our forces to come together as a true community to help solve the safety issues in our community. Thanks. Thanks, Spencer. Good evening, my name is Bonnie Lowe. I'm the president and CEO of the Lawrence Chamber of Commerce. Thank you, Mayor, commissioners, and staff for this opportunity and for your leadership in moving this very important topic forward. I'm glad to hear about the compassionate collaboration with Douglas County, Burt Nash, and agencies with addictive, uh, dealing with um, those with addiction. This is a very complicated issue, as you know, and the holistic approach is appreciated and appears that's being done. Areas of concentration that I would like to touch on, we request that homeless individuals being sent to our community to be returned to their place of origin, and I really like Mayor Shum's comment about state legislation. We want to be a partner in this endeavor, and we want to help to look for solutions. With beds available, enforce our current laws to prohibit camping on public ground. Threats of lawsuits should not be a factor in providing solutions to the homelessness issue. As Ted articulated, patience is waning, and we ask for decisive action and timelines. Although there is much to do, we acknowledge some things have definitely been done, and we appreciate the personal and emotional work that you all have faced, and certainly the business community as well. Count on us to be a partner to make meaningful change as soon as possible. Thank you so much, and please call on us if we can be of assistance to you. Thank you. 
Uh, good evening, I'm Russ Johnson. I'm the administrator for the hospital in town. Um, obviously from the comments we've heard tonight and as you all well know, this is a really thorny and comprehensive issue. Um, for my part, uh, I really appreciate the part of the work that you're doing that is uh, seeking to be collaborative and inclusive. I think that's critical to this endeavor. Um, there's a lot of people in this space. Um, we've, we've heard Burt Nash, um, the community shelter. Um, my wife, who's been on a community shelter board for about 17 years, uh, about four of that here at the shelter, uh, couldn't be here tonight, she wasn't feeling great, but really appreciates the engagement and the support that your step in that direction means. Um, my thought on this is because this is such a a complicated issue and it can be one where we're reacting in the moment and of course that's important too, but as you as this community coalesces around a plan, it's not only yours, and I think that's important to recognize. There's a lot of constituents in this plan that I think are ready, willing, and able to be part of that, and, and I appreciate the way in which uh, city leadership and staff have reached out on that. As that develops, I it, let's make sure it's really transparent so we can see what aspects of the plan are in your domain as a city and what aspects you need help and support from other partners in this. I know on, um, on our behalf in the world of, of health and thinking through how do you take care of these folks, you know, the emergency room isn't the answer. And I know that you know that. And so uh, leadership on our team is um, having conversations with colleagues about how do you deliver on-site care, how do you help pe move people into primary care uh, so they have a medical home, regardless of whether they have a nickel to pay for that, frankly. We, need the, we don't want them in the emergency room unless they have an emergency and it's not a great place for their care. So on the whole of it, uh, you're tackling a very difficult issue. I appreciate you going right at it. Frankly, taking a leadership role with the county and others. And as Bonnie said, you know, the hospital wants to be your partner in this work for the place that that makes sense and ready to do that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, commissioners. My name is Chuck Magrill. Um, all of us acknowledge that the homeless situation is widespread in our country, and many of us who have been involved in this work would agree with the assessment from Portland's mayor that this is the humanitarian crisis of our lifetime. There are steps that we should take, and there are plenty of lessons we can learn from other communities. Not all are experiencing what is happening in Lawrence. The numbers are stunning. Any of us in this picture know that the point in time count is a very flawed number, but it's what we've relied on, and it reveals trends that align with what we're seeing in our community. In the past year, Lawrence has experienced the largest increase in homeless population of any regional city. Our 51% increase is far greater than the 12% increase in Kansas City, the 13% increase in Topeka, or the 2% increase in Wichita. The state of California has a 9% increase. And even Portland, with their count, 
an increase of 20% is far below the 51% we've experienced. The result is what we've seen. Our community systems for support and health and safety have not been able to ramp up to bear the load. Staffing is a problem through most agencies and departments. We need to take steps to enhance our community. We must build programs to help, but be modest in what we can accomplish with limited funding and staffing and the immense effort of individual recovery programs. We should recognize the role of community in recovery efforts, prioritize processes to reintegrate Douglas County residents into our community. As a community, we should provide care and compassion and have courage to call things by their name. Be honest about drug addiction and mental illness. Most people have family, friends, or coworkers who have suffered. It should not be taboo or shameful to talk about. This note from the Portland Mayor's office speaks directly. Personal challenges for those living on the streets also complicate our efforts, in particular untreated mental illness and substance abuse. Estimates put the range of substance abuse among individuals living on the streets between 58 and 88%. The low cost and prevalence of fentanyl has made it an increasingly popular drug of choice and its deadliness is evidenced in record overdoses and the sad reality that fentanyl is now the number one killer of people under the age of 50. There are important steps we must take and we have been provided with some short-term funding to work with. We should avoid the temptation to spend most of our resources on real estate when the behavior and health issues remain unaddressed. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. The last time I was here, I forgot to scratched over like that. <laughs> My name is Rick Renfro. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks to Misty. She's on the magic box up there somewhere. And Brandon and Barry, I've met him. Uh, I think the report that came out tonight is good. I think all those things are great. The problem is, is that every report that we've had and everything we've tried to do has been a complete and total failure. The operations have just made things worse. You've, we've, we've, we've made enemies with the community that we're trying to get involved to help out. And, everybody, and so I would like to say that the accurate count, like they were talking about, is the most crucial thing we got to do, that uh, we need to have more resources for outreach. That's a big thing, right? That's how it's going to get resolved. I don't believe Bert Nash is over there. Maybe they were today, uh, but I haven't seen anybody over there. They're there once a week for three hours. Now they're telling me they're going to be there six hours a day, five days a week. I, I, I will check that out and make sure that that's happening, because I don't believe it is or will. Um, let's see, the restructuring of the Lawrence Community Shelter is spot on, way to go you guys, that's excellent, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I really think in adding uh, Misty and Barry to the team is going to be good in the long run. The problem is, is that we're running out of time. <laughs> you know, we've been screwing around with this for a long time and, we, and, and it, everybody says it's a complicated issue. To me it's pretty simple. It's safety. I don't care if you're homeless. I don't care if you're living in a house. 
If you're doing illegal behavior, you need to be taken off the streets and out of everybody else. Because the bad actors are screwing it up for everybody. The community, the business people, and the homeless people that want the help. They're not able to get it because we have, if we have 450 people in town, how many of them are bad actors? 75, 150 of them. This list that the chief's trying to get together, the one guy that goes to the emergency room four times a week, those are the people that we need to remove from this community. And I don't know whether you remove them by throwing them in jail or whether you remove them by sending them back to their hometown or whether you send them to a, uh, a facility, mental institution, something. I don't have the answer to that, but we gotta do something with that. If, if I had to choose right now, I'd put them in jail because that's gonna be better for them it's going to uh, stop their destructive behaviors that they're doing, and it's definitely going to be better for everybody else in the community. Um, the illegal camps, the report doesn't deal with these illegal camps over town. Right now, we're in a state of anarchy. <laughs> there's nothing. It, Brandon said, well, we're only going where, where there's complaints. I freaking guarantee you I'm going to be, yep, all right. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Oh. Good evening. My name—I got to move this back down. My name is Kristen Eldridge. Um, I own a business in Lawrence. I also volunteer with the Lawrence Chamber. Um, I want to first thank the city for their investment in this issue, um, investing to the tune of millions of dollars, and staff, staff time, energy. Um, thank you for your investment. That hasn't been seen before, and we really appreciate it, and we really need it. Um, learned a lot, as was said earlier, from the um, staff report, from the report given tonight. Um, was very encouraged by, um, first of all, the update on the Pallet Village and the communication, the ongoing communication with the Pygmy neighborhood, um, the restructuring of the governance of the community shelter uh, with expertise from individuals in the space, I think was great and important, and the by name list. Um, suggestions for the, for the future, the communication, I can't stress how much that means to a lot of people in the community. Um, the communication, regular communications with, with businesses, with business community, um, with specifics. Thank you, Mayor, for all of your questions tonight. Um, we really learned a lot more um, by from the answers to those questions, so appreciate that. Uh, it was mentioned earlier, specifics are needed and and can't agree more. Um, that you're asking the questions that we wanna know as, with those specifics. The chamber, the business community, and individuals who care really want to be partners with you, partners together and collaborate together to address these different areas and how we can help. And communication is the key to that. So thanks again. Thank you, Kristen. Other public comment on this item from the room? Um, 
Hi, my name is Sarah Hill Nelson, and I run the Bowersock Mills and Power Company. We're the hydroelectric power plant located in the Kansas River. So I have spent quite a bit of time, as many of the homeless encampments are located in the river corridor. So really, since this really started escalating just pre-pandemic, but particularly in the pandemic, a large part of my time at work has been consumed by working and, and trying to engage with people that are unhoused and that are creating issues in the river corridor. So um, I have just four key items. And one is that we had the public meetings and there was quite a bit of public comment. I went to both of those public meetings and I was very disappointed when I saw the summary of what was heard at the public meetings that came out and they listed seven items that they heard and I would say about 76% of the things that we heard at the public meeting were not reflected in that summary. And so I think as a member of the public, when I took time out of my day to go to both of those meetings and to have <coughs> none of the comments that I made or any of the people made at the tables that I was sitting at reflected made me feel lose, it made me lose confidence in the process, right? That the public's comments are not being accurately reflected by the government. And that made me feel uncomfortable. Um, so I think one of the key things we need to talk about is that we really need to draw a circle and contain this issue. And I think we all have shared understanding that people are being delivered to Lawrence or they're coming to Lawrence. And I want to ask the city for us to ask a hard question, which is how many people and who do we serve? Do we have to establish some kind of policy about who can be served? Because every day I see more people coming in on the bus and if we build the pallet village or we expand capacity at the Lawrence Community Shelter, that's great. But what do we do with the 15 to 20 more people that we see arriving daily on the bus? And so I, I think that's a hard, really difficult question for us to answer, but I think it's important that we ask ourselves that. Who and how many people can we serve? Because serving too many people is doing a disservice to our community members that are suffering. I think that it's really important that we acknowledge clearly and openly the drivers of homelessness. People I'm working with daily down in the river corridor are severely suffering from primarily addiction issues and associated mental health issues. Um, the current formulations of meth are super damaging to the human brain. And the people that I'm talking with are really having problems functioning. And I think we need to talk about it in a really open and non-judgmental way. We can house people all we want, but until we talk about the source of the problem, we're not gonna be able to fix it. Time. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks. Good evening, um, Brandon Graham. I own uh, the Jefferson's locations here in town. Uh, partner and I own Basileaf as well. We've also invested into four buildings downtown. Um, we also have, have moved our corporate headquarters with Jefferson's to Lawrence from Nashville uh, about five years ago. So we um, both grew up here. Um, my wife and I moved back here after we had triplet boys 11 years ago because we wanted to be here. And we wanted to experience this community. We wanted our kids to um, experience this community. And a significant part of that is and was downtown. Um, and it still is. 
I guess I would reflect a lot of the comments of a lot smarter, more well-spoken people before me tonight, and in particular, maybe Rick's comment around timeline and some of the hope and almost pleading for urgency with addressing some of this. Um, have communicated with a few um, fellow chamber members and leaders about some of our outlook and just direct communication we're seeing and hearing from our customer base, our employees, our employees' families, our employees' families' friends that come in from out of town and their trepidation with what's going on. None of this is news to any of you. I just wanted to share just a little bit about what we see, feel, and hear from our young employees that are much of which are students at the university and the impact that it is having with us. I told someone tonight at a Leadership Lawrence event across the way that we are still doing well. We feel very fortunate and grateful for that. We do feel that it has made an impact and we're hoping that we turn the tide soon. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Kelly Huesley, and I own a business in North Lawrence and also in West Lawrence. And thank you all for your time. I want you to know that I know it takes courage to address this issue, and so I am thankful for that. As a, as a business owner, I've not owned a business for a long time. I've owned a business for three and a half years. Um, suffered through the pandemic and we have come through on the other side which is super exciting however within the last six months i have i have um, experienced several issues that many of you have talked about tonight um, i've had a water garden that's been destroyed had to put a new water pump in it i've had a drive-through window, window that has been broken and i have um, workers that are scared to walk to their cars and so what i'm asking is as you are considering these different issues that you would also consider how do you help the businesses and these and the business owners combat this part and educate us and help us to provide safety for our employees and also to help us figure out how do we cover these costs without raising prices for all of our consumers as well. So that would be my request that you also consider a learning component for us as business owners. Thank you. Any other public comment from the room? Come on up. Hi, um, David Hawley, uh, owner of Papakino's. Um, I, there's not much that I could add other than, you know, what has already kind of been shared in my experience and, um, you know, what I've seen operating a business downtown is very much what everybody else kind of already shared from the podium. Um, one of the things I love about this community is, uh, you know, how much Lawrence does care. And we have so many citizens and business owners that have been getting together to, um, talk about this topic and try to come to the table with solutions. And I've been at a meeting recently with Misty and, you know, we talked about the same thing, community engagement. You have a bunch of people that are willing to kind of participate, step up and help in any way that they can. They care as deeply as anybody else in this room does about this situation. And, um, you know, the thing is just action. Um, I know it's hard and, you know, it's hard to make progress at times, but, you know, more action is required. I appreciate the efforts and everything that has 
that has come forth and what has been able to be accomplished. But you hear stuff all the time. And I have the same experience with my staff downtown that we've actually had staff members get assaulted. Um, we've had people come in and injecting drugs in our bathroom. We've had to call the police to remove hypodermic needles from our restroom. We've had to have employees knock repeatedly on the door to get people to come out of the bathroom and they've just left all of their equipment there in the sink. And, you know, again, I feel, and I share the same voice of like, we need to identify who we serve. We need to have some kind of accountability at a state level to be able to stop um, people from dropping uh, their homeless off in our community. Um, this list is going to be fantastic, having that database, having a centralized place where they could identify the services. I've been at a lot of the meetings on this topic, and I also believe that, you know the mental health and the drug addiction, substance abuse uh, situation is an important one to address. Um, I was discouraged as well not to hear those topics make it back out of that meeting um, because I feel like that is really kind of like the first and most important aspect of what we need to focus on. Um, again, you know, it, there's been a lot of people get up and, and share tonight with written statements. I just wanted to put my, you know, sense in that I stand with the rest of the business owners, the rest of the citizens in strong concern about what's going on with this. And that's all I got. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Brady Flannery, and thank you, Ms. Mayor, for your questions and the engagement um, from our commissioners and city staff. For months now, many members of our community, um, or months back, began growing increasingly concerned over the safety within our city. And it's throughout the city. I work at Weaver's Department Store, but this is 100% a city issue, and I understand that the county could be a partner in this and needs to be. I believe that it is a responsibility for me as a parent, for me as an employer, to provide and, and providing also an environment for consumers, safety, convenience, and cleanliness. I believe the city and the county would probably share in those responsibilities as well. So in this um, matter of months now, you know, we know it's a complex issue. We know it's changing all the time, and we're not the only ones going through this. So many of us have gotten engaged, have tried to educate ourselves and see what's going on. A few observations. I agree completely that reports have not represented the concern or the dialogue, not only in those meetings, but in uh, some of the other uh, sessions that have been had. Um, I celebrate the energy of many of the city staff and, and of other levels trying to help and the strategies and the plans, but they're failing. At what point are we gonna take this long-term hope and long-term strategies and understand that we have to have short-term measurables and we have to take short-term actions that can potentially provide um, real improvement on the daily life for the citizens of our community. City leadership does not seem to be taking into account that we have a crisis today. And a crisis today demands action today. I believe that uh, too many of our organizations are handcuffed. I believe our police department and other law enforcement agencies are handcuffed. We are dealing with the gentleman that this community has known for a long time at 9th and Massachusetts. 
Um, he's one of our own. He goes by different names, but it is a daily phone call. He is on a do not arrest list, and he urinates in public. He urinates on the corner of 9th and Massachusetts, and we can do nothing about it as a community. I ask for your help. I believe it's our right to provide help for this gentleman, for our customers, for our employees, where we don't allow that, where we don't allow needles going in to our sewer system, to our rivers, to our waterways. It's a pretty special room tonight when you have supportive stakeholders in the community trying to ask and say, how can we help? I don't believe that the city and the county have engaged uh, this group appropriately. That's missed opportunity. I ask for it not to be a tragedy. Uh, Tom Devlin, I uh, just left my office at uh, 7th and Locust as I was leaving. Somebody was coming out of our dumpster with trash, all kinds of stuff. Um, just yesterday, somebody was passed out on our street in front of it. There's businesses there. Um, as I drive over here to come to this meeting, the same guy that's standing on the corner there every day holding a sign illegally soliciting money is still there after six, eight months, which is a, a Kansas statute that you can't panhandle on corners. Um, and, you know, we, we need to start enforcing these laws that we have on the books. It's illegal to panhandle. It's illegal to camp. We have a sanctioned camp. We sat here when the sanctioned camp was opened in uh, Jen Woosley was here, and there was another Jen lady who uh, they call Mama Jen down at the camp. She's still down at the camp. This is six, eight months later. She's still down there. This guy's still here. How, can we have some metrics on who has gotten out of homelessness since we've done this? Because I haven't seen anybody. The same people are down there right now. Chief, the guy who was stabbed the other day down there, he's been down there the whole time. They don't live in the sanctioned area. They live in an unsanctioned area because they don't want to be under the city's rule. We have to, have to get this under control and enforce the laws on the books. And I'll, I'll end with a, a statement that I read the New York mayor said. He said, while our compassion may be limitless, our resources are not. It's a budgetary reality we're facing. It, we did not create the humanitarian crisis, but our citizens have been left to deal with the crisis almost entirely on our own. And that's the way everyone in this room feels, that we have been left out by our government and by our city. Thank you, Tom. Good evening, Mayor Larson, commissioners, staff, Hugh Carter, Vice President of External Affairs with the Chamber. Uh, thank you so much for hearing us tonight. I, uh, I don't think I have anything terribly new to add, but I just wanted to touch on a few things. First, a few positives. You know, the mobile crisis uh, team and the top 10 uh, target list is, is going to be hugely impactful when you look at just how much of uh, the a drain and how much of the problems are to an isolated group of folks. If we have some success there and we can duplicate that, um, that'd be fantastic. Um, you know, the shared governance and the governance and the increased resources and hopefully capacity following soon out at LCS is another huge step forward. So uh, glad to see that. Uh, hiring Corey Wallace, I know we have a new director of communications, I've had some me meetings with her and uh, just think that that is another key part to the solution here because I think that there's been a bit of a trust and credibility issue that's come up. 
not intentional, but no question. I want to echo the, you know, I, I did try and bring a presentation on the homeless plan to the chamber and it asked staff to do that at our, I do a government affairs luncheon you all are aware of. And staff had passed on that to direct us to go to these public input meetings because they really wanted to get everybody's input there. Um, and so we kind of redirected and these folks showed up and sat at separate tables and really gave some good feedback. And when they say that's not included, I mean, via their notes and all too, it's really just not included. So that was a huge hit to credibility. And I think that causes temperatures to rise and trust to get diminished. So, so I know you've heard that several times. I just want to say, I think that that's the sort of thing that, uh, again, I think Corey Wallace can can help maybe in other communications like tonight's report, for instance, that's another one where Mayor Larson, thank you so much for looking for and pressing for some specifics and some dates and whatnot, because upon pushing, we hear that, well, we're one month from an operations plan, uh, mid-October, two months maybe from Pallet Village actually being open. But those are the sort of things I'd really recommend that we insist be part of all future reports on this that let's have some accountability some dates and some things like that people can really hold on to i get it the goal of mid-november it wasn't a dead date i do understand that but we got to have those goals and share them um, and then update when things happen that might prevent them the last thing i would say is one big issue brandon mcguire fantastic uh, asset to the city and and glad to see him running kind of point on this right now but he's stuck with answering, you know, when are we going to start enforcing the, the no camping based on a threat of an outside lawsuit? You know, I, I think people really want to start hearing this commitment that, in fact, when we up these capacities, that we do start enforcing. And I'm, I've got my ear to the ground, so it's not a threat, but I am just passing along that if we don't, if we keep bending to the threat of an outside lawsuit, we could see them come from inside the community. We really need to see that commitment. Time. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment from the room? If not, we'll go to Zoom. Kevin Elliott. Hi there, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Um, I was at Camp New Beginnings this week, and uh, during the camp meeting, which I attend weekly, uh, one of the camp members said, the city has committed $3 million to us. How many of us have been housed? Kevin, could you hang on a sec? Kevin, could you hang on a second? Folks are leaving the room, and I'm having a hard time hearing you. We'll make sure you get your full. You'll get your full time. Thank you. Okay, I think they're done now. If you could start again, that'd be great. Okay, I was at Camp New Beginnings this week. I meet with the camp every week to see how I can be a good neighbor. Uh, one of the questions one of the campers asked the city, which the city had no response to, was um, this. The city has committed millions of dollars to housing the homeless. How many people at Camp New Beginnings have been housed? Uh, that was a profound moment. Um, the answer, I, I know the answer, but I doubt the city does. Um, there's a lot that's gone on tonight, a false narrative. It's combining the idea of criminals with the idea of homelessness. And those are two separate and distinct groups. There is crossover, criminalization needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed seriously by the city to blanket that to all homeless people when the vast majority do not commit crimes is, is unconscionable. I remember my mother telling me about the chamber doing a very similar scare tactic. 
presentation in the 1950s during desegregation. I'm just saying. What the city's doing well, Mission Sicily have been working with people in the community, and I appreciate that. There's not enough cooperation with the community going on. There's 125 beds at LCS. There's going to be 50 at Pallet Village. Your point in time count is 350 at bare minimum. So you, you're, you're at best going to have half beds. Uh, a back alley plan by Craig Owen and Jill Jolliker to open camp in the beginning. So back alley plan by Craig Owen and Jill Jolliker to remove peer leadership from the camp. A back alley plan by Craig Owen and Jill Jolliker to place the Pallet Village. A black alley plan by Craig Owen and Jill Jolliker to increase LCS capacity at the cost of day services. And then a back alley plan by Craig and Jill not to, not to fund that. And then a back alley plan by Craig and Jill to serve community leadership over LCS. What's the common thread here? These are back alley plans, not transparent plans built with the community. You know, and we heard from Misty tonight. Misty doesn't know the leaders of the camps. But I do. Misty doesn't know the community volunteers. But I do. Misty does not know what Bert Nash does at the camp. I do. Misty does not know the key community advocates on unhoused issues in Lawrence. But I do. And Misty doesn't know how many unhoused people are in Lawrence. But I do. Something's got to change, and it's got to change Hi. now. Thank you. Thank you. Dustin? Hi. This is Dustin Stumbling Bear, and I wanted to speak to the narrative from our business owners in town that they are not having their voices heard because I attended all of the public engagement sessions that I was allowed to for the uh, unhoused strategic plan. And all of our notes from every table were put up and discussed, including some of the stuff that was pretty damn vile. Now, none of that vile stuff was repeated in the actual strategic plan or in the articles that were written or in the presentation that was made to you. So if any of those business owners wanted those particular comments to have been put in that plan, then why didn't they show up at the meeting that was made to you, the presentation that was made to you about a month or two ago, or be willing to voice what those comments were tonight? I find it really interesting they claim comments were included, but they refused to say what those comments were or questions because every other question that they had and they present tonight is actually part of the strategic plan and has been presented to you and has been included in the Lawrence Times and Lawrence Journal World articles on the subject. On top of that, I actually do have some extra questions. One of them being, along the Lawrence Loop that goes from Michigan up to Peterson, what is the plan to address homeless individuals who are moving into that area because it's happening right now? They're beginning to defecate in the tree lines, and I'm not trying to be that guy, but Misty says there's gonna be no camping along the perimeter of the Pallet Shelter Village, yet you have people moving into the area that is along the perimeter of the Pallet Shelter Village at this very moment. And if we're gonna do a complaint-based, again, this is what we have to do, because that's my exercise path. I walk it every day, so I see these people beginning to move in, and how do I address it? Because again, I understand the legal argument being made that we can't move them because we don't have a place to move them to. But if they're already moving into the area, what is the recourse for us to handle? Like, what do we do? How do we go forward? And 
housing enforcement for the area because it's a footpath where the police, and I'm not really sure who all has jurisdiction, who owns exactly what in the area, because the property viewer map on the Douglas County website hasn't fully been updated for that area because uh, where the loop hasn't been fully uh, constructed yet. So who owns what isn't 100% listed in that right now. Um, and then I'm just trying to wonder about safety for those individuals who are predatory, engaging in predatory behavior. I've been circled at Virgin Park by an individual walking. I've been uh, followed by someone who was wielding a bat and then told me I didn't belong in the park, which I told him, F you, I've been here for nine years, get the F out of my park and be thrown away. But the fact is that happened just a couple weeks ago. This is, and I live in Pinckney neighborhood and I don't want to be the guy that says, homeless are all bad, but I'm with Kevin. There are criminal elements. And by the time we get police involved, they've already run away. And it's hard to say it's a guy on a bike time. running around. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you. All right. Aaron Melton. Hi there. Um, yes, this is Aaron Melton. Apologies for being off camera. I'm multitasking. Um, wow, there was a really strong um, business showing tonight. And I would just note, First, that anytime business owners are talking about an issue, the motivation is going to be their profit. And that is not a negative, that's just the case. Um, I also wanna say that, kind of echoing some of Kevin's comments, that it's false and harmful to associate people who are experiencing homelessness with with criminality. Um, I was actually reading, coincidentally today, a study talking about how um, there is a disproportionate rate of people who are homeless who have been arrested or cited for quote unquote crimes that have to do with being homeless, like having liquor in public or um, camping in public, but they are below, they are disproportionately low represented in violent crimes, crimes against people, theft, those kinds of things. I also heard people talking about um, suggesting state legislation that criminalizes people crossing county borders with um, folks who are homeless, that is, whether you're coming at it from like a human compassion perspective or an economic perspective, that's a terrible idea because any anything that further criminalizes being homeless only exacerbates the problem, will make someone be experiencing homelessness longer and end up costing the city more money and will end up just exacerbating the problem. Um, I also wanted to note that a bill that criminalized homelessness in Missouri is probably the cause of an influx of people who are homeless into Kansas because that bill makes it illegal to sleep in public even if there are no shelter beds available. And so those people have nowhere to go and probably are coming into Kansas. So doing that again will just perpetuate the problem. Um, I'm probably kind of rambling here, but um, Someone also mentioned that, you know, the solution is simple and it's safety. And I kind of agree, the solution is simple, but the solution is housing. People are homeless because they don't have a place to to, pee, to be. And there is a ton of evidence demonstrating that a housing first approach to homelessness allows for all of those other services to actually be successful. Because if you try to treat someone who may be experiencing substance use disorder or anything else, um, if that person doesn't have somewhere to go every night, then that treatment is not going to be successful. You have to have a place for people to say that is safe, that is stable, that is affordable. So I just want to um, 
hope that everyone will keep that in mind, that just pushing the problem out of, you know, XYZ businesses line of sight does not actually help people or make the problem go away. Thank you. Chris Flowers. Hi, this is Chris Flowers. I just have a few thoughts. Um, when it comes to the, the stakeholders, um, I, you know, when you're talking about the Pigney neighborhood, I'm just wondering, will the public know about any change, like suggestions they make that the city takes them up on? Because if my memory serves me, they were against the Pallet Village to begin with. So from that perspective, I see it as someone that wants it. I mean, they're going to be a group that I think wants the Pallet Village to fail. So if we're letting a group make suggestions that wants the Pallet Village to fail, I, I think the rest of the city should know about it because they have a vested interest in seeing this thing fail so they can get it out of their neighborhood. I mean, they did not want it there to begin with. So I just want to throw that out there. And I, I think you should be keeping the homeless also notified because they're just as much of a stakeholder as the Pickney neighborhood. Um, also, I think there should be more location throughout town. I mean, that's what we need. I, we need not huge plate like like you know just a couple places and a, a whole bunch of them we need a bunch of places with just fewer homeless people throughout town because also think if, if you have a job in the south part of town wouldn't you want to stay at a, a homeless facility in the south part of town where it's easier for you to get to work until you have uh, housing you know until you're on your feet where you have your own place so i just want to throw that out there and also I, I agree with the people before me and when it comes to criminality drug and alcohol use i think if if we just allowed them to drink and do drugs it wouldn't be a, cr a crime it's a victimless crime until they start doing something to someone else drinking and drugging by yourself and not causing any problems except to yourself should not be a crime so I want to throw that out there also. Um, oh, yeah, and we need to be, like, face reality. We're not, if, if there's over 300 people, I mean, even if you open the pallet village and you open the shelter, you're not going to have enough uh, spaces and beds. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think you will even with the sanctioned tent city. So, I mean, you just need to... The public needs to have an expectation that there's just going to be some people camping. And I don't want to challenge that. We, I, we just need to allow it to happen and just try to get them to do it and like come up with a reasonable way for people to camp without government, you know, government sanctioned or whatever. And also, I, I hope I have enough time, but uh, person mentioned earlier a code of conduct for those who are re recipients of uh, like food assistance i say we need a code of conduct for those who are recipients of corporate welfare and when i say corporate welfare i mean stuff like plant a few fruit trees on a piece of property and in order to call it an orchard thank you chris thank you thank you uh, andy k were you wanting to provide comment on this yeah, sorry, I'm having a little bit of trouble with um, <laughs> technology here. It's okay, you can go right ahead. 
Okay. Hey, so I appreciate your guys' time. Uh, I really wasn't planning on commenting, but I, I felt compelled. Um, I'm a first responder in Lawrence. I have been for 10 years. Um, I've seen a lot of things firsthand that a lot of people are commenting on, uh, maybe that uh, seeing it at a different level. Um, I think that sometimes differing opinions doesn't mean that we're not compassionate. Uh, one of my biggest concerns uh, that I heard uh, the management staffs talk about recently is uh, we're doing what the citizens want. And I've been raising concerns and bringing things up to uh, Craig and commissioners and Brandon and being completely stonewalled and ignored, uh, not getting any reply. In most cases, uh, there are a few commissioners who've been responding. And so just that general public trust, um, a lot of people spoke on that tonight. That would be super helpful, you know, if we could feel like we do have a voice and we, and we are able to express our concerns without being vilified. Because um, there are there are real concerns and people are bringing up a lot of great points tonight, um, and especially if it's a complaint-driven process, like Brandon talked about. Um, you know, the community shelter is being filled with people from uh, out of state, from Wichita, on a regular basis. Kansas City, Missouri. Um, you know, we have these camps going on, yet these beds continue to be filled from completely other areas. Uh, so it, I appreciate Lisa, uh, Mayor Larson, you asking the tough questions about the camping. It's been a challenge. Uh, I don't have the solutions for sure, but I know that our per capita uh, homelessness rate is um, significantly more. We should be, if we were on the national average, you know, we'd have 80 to 100 houseless and, you know, we're significantly more and we're working towards making some solutions there. So I appreciate the comments of the business owners. I hope that they're not vilified. Um, I just hope that, uh, we, I, I've said it a lot, and I'll, I'll end it with this, but we can be compassionate and pragmatic at the same time. They don't have to exist separately. We can do both. And uh, I just appreciate all of you and everyone who spoke tonight from all perspectives and hope that we can uh, make some progress. Anybody else, Sherry? That's it. All right, we'll bring it back up to the commission for either further questions or comments um, I have one uh, <laughs> I, we we did discuss uh, our panhandling ordinance um, y years ago I think when Commissioner Finkel and I first got here um, my recollection is that locally it it is um, specifically aggressive panhandling um, that is an issue. I have never heard that that is illegal to solicit money at the state level. You don't have to answer now if you don't know, but if you could follow up with us on that, I'd appreciate it. Any other? Um, yeah, I, I know that uh, on the memo here, it was uh, you know, asking for maybe some questions. I, when you come back in October, I. I I think it would be helpful for everyone. I think some of the comments we've been hearing is uh, that uh, if, it was, if it was laid out in more of a step-by-step -step basis um, uh, where you, know, you could see triggers to the next step occurring or the next step after that and then outcomes and things of that sort. I'm thinking almost like you know, kind of it was presented with uh, the continuum of houselessness or the continuum of housing where you know. You, it was a visual representation of different kinds of housing where community components fit in and how they could play a part. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, that would go a long way to uh, making uh, 
making helping people figure out where they fit in and uh, letting people know exactly where we're heading um, uh, just in that regard so they could go ahead and measure it in the short term and the long term so um, that would be my suggestion uh, you know uh, from the meeting next month okay anything else I, I was a um, my I think my expectation um, my understanding was um, similar to someone I think that that remarked um, that once we got our extra capacity opened up that we would focus on the illegal campsites that are in almost every single park and on every other trail I'm a little um, surprised to learn that we would start with the sanctioned camp or maybe I'm misunderstanding and the intention is to kind of work on those sim at this you know similar time um, again uh, qualifying that you know while there are people illegally camping we want to move them compassionately um, and into the spaces that we're preparing but I, I'm finding it hard to believe that our partners would have the capacity to do both those things at the same time so um, can someone talk to me about whether um, indeed whether we when we will what the order will be when we start to address the illegal camps that are outside of the CD district. I can speak to, to that, but it, you know, my response is really we don't have, we don't have an order at this point. Um, I mean, like you said, there is camping around the entire community. Um, you know, something that kind of occurred to me, uh, it, I, I made this statement, you know, that it's maybe not as transactional as just enforcing enforcing a no camping law and arresting somebody. There, are, you know, the total capacity of Douglas County jails is 180, right? That's total capacity. Of course, a lot of that is already taken, um, being used. We've got 350 people in our 2023 point in time count um, experiencing homelessness. So that's not, you know, arresting our way out of this is not an option. And so I think, I think you have to, it, it's just more, it's going to have to be more iterative, iterative than that. Um, working with probably one camp at a time, or maybe a couple camps at a time, um, getting people into sheltering, uh, getting them connected to services so that they can move into housing and then have it, and then being ready to have more people come in from the next camp to the shelter beds that were vacated because people moved through the pipeline to housing. I mean, it's like that's, and I think we'll snowball. We'll continue to, to look for opportunities as quickly as possible to develop even more capacity beyond what's currently at LCS and in Pallet. But that's just the situation. It's, it's gonna take some time, especially if we're gonna get the current um, census, the current population off the street and into housing. Right. Well, I mean, a couple of things that, yes, I, that's what I understood, but what we didn't do, or I, I think we've said this, or I have said this, um, I, you know, if we're prioritizing who's being asked to move where, uh, I would, my personal preference would be to start with uh, unsanctioned camps and to focus on the ones that have had more fire calls and more safety calls than some of the other ones which are maybe less problematic um that seems like a fair expectation um 
But, and, and I certainly understand that that will take time, but the message needs to come clearly that once they've been moved from an unsanctioned camp, they cannot return. They are needing to find an alternative place. And if we're offering these two or three spaces, um, they need to try to choose our expectation from the taxpayer and the community is for them to try to find their way in those spaces. We can't let them return to all of our parks and on all of our trails. So uh, however the kind of messaging needs to be there, I feel like that understanding needs to be set at the outset um, for all the people who've been here to speak with us and for anyone who might see Lawrence as an attractive place to come because they can get services. There's my comment, Mayor. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, there's I'll, I'm jumping. I'll, I'll, go, I'll say a few things here. Um, so first, of all, I want to thank staff for this update. It's it was been really important to me. I've um, asked for this, and and I do appreciate the in depth of some of the items we did receive and the work that you're doing on this. I know that we are working on multiple fronts to address this, and and we've had challenges. We're in uncharted water right here. Um, our community's never had to deal with this, and I think for the time that I've been on the commission, it's been the most difficult situation that we have been in but I, I do want to talk a little bit about um well the pallet village i really appreciate what's happening there it seems like we've got the ball rolling on that and then we're looking forward to november that's for doggone sure and the idea that we are going to strictly enforce the no camping outside of that area as well as hopefully in the vicinity that that that, that will be strongly held to be true um because we we need to start doing that. The the part that I'm still um, um, I feel as though we can move forward on is the idea of this the enforcement aspect of this. And I know there's so many things going on on other aspects of it. I I continue to be concerned that what I'm hearing and you can correct me if I'm wrong that we will get to enforcement once we get these other pieces in place. And I know there's there's some rhyme or reason between a system, an orderly system. I don't understand why we can't begin the enforcement part or, or continue with any of the enforcement part at the same time we are doing these other other items that we're trying to build this program, which is humanitarian to build this program for, so folks can get into various levels of housing with the idea that they will be in a, in a permanent home at some point in time. And that's so important, but I think we are missing the piece where there's accountability for those who are not wanting to be a part of that answer. Um, and there's other problems. And, and I agree with Kevin Elliott that, you know, there are two separate groups. We've got a homeless population that, you know, wants to be in a, in a better situation. And then we've got criminal activity. And we just seem to be holding back on wanting to do both at the same time. And so I'm very concerned about that. And I know we've got this law supposedly hanging over our head from another state, but I'm pretty much done with that. The idea that we have to be held to that standard. I think our community 
has been begging us and and I you know speak to a lot of folks and I see it myself when I when I visit the various areas and 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 I think we can do start to do enforcement on a more open level than what we're doing now and I know we've been doing some but we've got you know, gentleman Brian Sims, I I think spoke uh, about the fact that that property is open space. It's 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 um, classified as open space, but so that's not the CD district. So we can start doing that, and that's the direction I want to see us to go: is to do these at the same time, do enforcement at the same time we're working on some of the other things. And I know there's a bandwidth issue, especially with our police department being so short staffed right now, and I, I get that, but. Uh, you know, I, I still want to hear a plan to that effect. In in the idea that um, we're going to have, once the pallet vigil is up, we're going to have about 150 beds available, but yet we've got 351 folks on the, you know, that we know of. We can't continue to wait till we have capacity to, ha to have, uh, have the homeless be able to have a place to stay. Uh, right now we have capacity. The, the the Lawrence Community Shelter has empty beds, and so m m I don't understand why we can't say, "Oh, here's a, here's a bed situation for an individual," instead of camping. Why aren't we enforcing that? Because I remember several years ago when we originally were talking about this law from um, Boise that that I can remember distinctly being told that, well, if the police have a situation like that they call the shelter and if there's not an open bed then the idea is that we would need to allow them to camp in a certain area um, but now what I think I'm hearing and, and again correct me if I'm wrong is that we know there's 300 and some folks out there we believe but yeah we got 125 beds but so we can't enforce that rule for some reason we believe we can't enforce that rule and again correct me if I'm wrong but we need to start doing enforcement. We just need to start doing enforcement. Yeah, I, I, I will. I don't. I don't believe that we're we're running strictly by the Boise uh, law. What we're trying to do is build a capacity for people to go to out to, to live indoors. Yes. And to be in a, a more appropriately sheltered space. So when we have that capacity, we're going to exit people as soon as we can. That's one thing for the the both the last two comments. We are absolutely trying to to. Exit people from camping outdoors anywhere. That is the goal. Right. And to get people into permanent housing that's appropriate for them. We have 850 units that are funded by this community. We've got to get them built. As that capacity starts to build up, we will get people from shelter, emergency shelter, into appropriate affordable housing. That's the goal, too. In the interim, we are trying to reduce. We will always be trying to reduce the number of people that are sleeping outdoors. We, we want to do that as fast as possible. How that is done, we have professionals now, our homeless outreach team, our mental health professionals, people that have that experience are going to help prioritize who that is and who can get into it. I suspect from a process standpoint that those, those will be the people that are accepting it and read, are ready to go. And I think that's an appropriate way for us to prioritize. That may not be what you hear in a month when we build our operating manuals based on people that are experts in this field, but we are definitely trying to shrink the, 
the footprint of those that are camping in this, in our city. And as people exit, they will, we will shrink that footprint. As people exit to the, the Lawrence community shelter, we will sh shrink that footprint. If they, if they exit to a more appropriate natural support that isn't even in our community, we will shrink that footprint. We want to shrink the footprint of people that are camping outdoors. And I'm, I'm sorry, that point I think has been missed in all of this discussion tonight. It is absolutely the priority. We will be shrinking it as soon as we can. We're building capacity so that those, those people that exit go to someplace else that's better. And as we do that, we will shrink it. We're not, we're not ready to do that tonight. We have options. We're trying to get those people into the options that are available. Pallet is not ready. We do not have an operator. We have not planned out how that's gonna operate. And a lot of the, the reticence that unfortunately we hear from various people, we're reticent to commit to hard deadlines, largely because we haven't met those deadlines and we've been overly ambitious and missed. And we just heard a, another lengthy recounting of our failures. We need to be successful at everything we do in these next steps. And so the, I get the urgency and impatience, but also we don't want to add another piece of the list that we didn't do this right and lose more trust in the community. So our reticence to say, we're going to start establishing a policy and we're going to clean these camps up. We've got to do that in the right order and do it right. And I, I know you're supportive of that, but I think those messages, those basic messages have been lost somehow. And we've tried the patience of many people in this community, and we've got to be successful in these next, next positions. Part of that is messaging and communication, which I'm glad that we've brought on the folks that we have that can help us with that. Uh, I think a couple people Great. mentioned that, and uh, I think we should lean into that a bit more, and uh, I think that would be uh, for, for everyone in that regard. Yes, I'd say a few things. Um, one, by the way, for the record, for some reason my video has gone off on Zoom, and Kurt's been trying to fix it over there, and I've been trying to fix it. It's not there, so I'm not hiding from anyone on Zom, but my camera's gone. Um, you know, I, I mean, Again, kind of like the, the the speakers, you kind of hate to repeat what other people have said. Um, you know, I I think I do think the community knows. We know. Um, we hear it. Um, we feel it. We see it. I mean, I as many people know, I I've worked downtown, managing partner at forty five employees downtown. Been at Ninth and Mass across the street from Weavers for 25 years, so I've I've seen this um, in action, and it I mean we have a crisis, and we know we have a crisis, and you know Topeka has a crisis, and Ottawa has a crisis, and lots of places have crises. I have this crisis because it's a nationwide crisis, um, and you know to Craig's point um, that he was just making, you know well let, let me back up a second. You know, two years ago when this crisis started, we had, we as the city commission had zero employees that worked on this issue, and we had people camping downtown, and we had a, a crisis, and 
people said, well, the city should do something about this. The county's been working on this. Well, the city gives some money to Nash. The city gives some money to LCS. You know, should we do something about that? And I think this commission and this, we directed this staff, um, and, you know, we have been trying desperately to push forward to go from zero employees and about $400,000 to a whole new department and $6 million to solve this problem, to try to solve this problem, to address this problem. Um, and we had people camping downtown with tents on Mass Street. And we said, we need to get those people off Mass Street. And we quickly opened up a camp to get them off Mass Street. And we moved them to a camp um, behind Johnny's. And we said, that's going to be temporary. Excuse <laughs> me. Excuse me. That's going to be temporary. Ted. And we, um, um, as we tried to rush ahead and solve that problem in ways that we could um, force that. And, um, you know, so I do agree that um, we are, um, we, we being this commission, we being this community, we being this staff, um, we being Boat Nash and, and we being the county and we being a lot of players in this field desperately want to solve this problem. Um, and so, but we have made, we, again, a collective we, um, have not been successful in everything we have done to try to address it. Just this weekend, we moved, we did move some people out of some of the parks. Um, and, um, okay, what do you do? You're illegally camping. We're evicting you from the parks. This morning, I went to work, and one of those people was sleeping in the parking garage at 9th of Mass. Well, why are you sleeping there? Well, they evicted me from the park. So I'm sleeping here now. Okay, so enforcement of, of evicting people from parks is one thing, and, and I appreciate that, and we need to enforce, but that also um, ended up getting them downtown, and so we need to say, well, you can't be downtown, and so, you know, we, we continue to, to work on that and, and try to get that person housed. So um, we need, um, I think we all know what, what needs to be done. We all know what the ultimate goal is, um, and we need to continue to push for that. And if if there was, as I've I've talked to lots of people about, if there was an easy solution, um, you know, someone would have figured this out and it would have worked. If you could just say, you know, homelessness is illegal in our city, go someplace else, it would be a salt, you know, everyone would do it. And then that doesn't work. If we said we could build houses for everybody and um, everyone could just have a place to stay with no responsibility, I don't know that that um, works either. Um, so it is something that we need to work, continue to work on and, and push on. And, um, you know, we need um, to get the Pallet Village open. We need to get capacity to LCS. We need to get people off the street. We need to close um, the um, New Beginnings camp. We need to get people um, from camping. I think we can all agree on those those goals. Um, and we need to get people in treatment, and we need to get people mental health help. These are all things that um, we're all desperately working on. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling now. But um, 
Um, I appreciate the plan the community has developed. I appreciate that it's a multifaceted plan, that the TLC is necessary, um, that you know we need more capacity for um, drug addiction help. The county's working on that. This doesn't work without that. It doesn't work without mental health. It doesn't work without um, affordable housing. It doesn't work without emergency housing. Um, and so we need to have all those things in place um, and continue to push this forward you know, as fast as we can, but without making the mistakes that we go too fast and we actually go backwards, which we've done a few times in hopes of, of, of pushing this issue ahead. So let's keep the, um, keep the work up, keep the pressure on. I look forward to the update in October because I think we'll continue to move this forward. And we just, um, you know, it's a, you know, we all know we have to solve the problem. So let's keep working to solve it. Anything else? Ready? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'd be, I'd be quick. I would concur. Nobody wants to have folks sheltering outside. That's not the solution. That's not the solution long term. Um, figuring out the way through that, that's, that's the hard part. Um, and communicating it, which we need to do a, do a better job of, which is essential. Um, I, I think uh, one of the things that stuck with me when folks were coming up and talking was, and I mentioned it before, is the short term and long term. We need some short term wins, build up community mm -hmm. trust, get the ball rolling so that uh, we can build momentum and establish larger wins, more, more expansive results so that we really can wrap our arms around this. So, um, and uh, I want to echo a lot of what Commissioner Frankel-Dye said. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, we've entered into a space not a lot of cities do, um, but in doing so, there have been mistakes, but it's my estimation that we're learning from them and um, we're going to make progress in a way that can help all of our community um, because that's, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm not doing it for my own benefit because me coming up here and getting yelled at <laughs> uh, most of the time is, you know, a little bit... Uh, you know, it's not great for my self-esteem, but I had to think that I, I wanted to do this so that I could help people. And that's why I still do this. And that's why I still come to this building and why I sit up here with my fellow commissioners that uh, we think we can help. And uh, I think we have a plan that we can help. And uh, I want us to make sure that we don't repeat the, the same mistakes that we did in the, previously. So um, I... Uh, I think we're all paying attention that we're making this concerted effort to have achievable results. Um, and uh, I think we're all wanting the same thing. It's just not happening as fast as any of us want it. Anybody else? I guess I'll, for me, I'll just finish with, you know, I still go back to, you know, again, we are do, doing so many, there's so many pieces to this and it's, we all know how complicated it is. And, you know, the work that staff is doing, sometimes it's hard to see publicly, um, 
some of the foundation we are building because internally we we are building some really strong foundation i believe with this the staff we had being on board just barely probably two years um the whole program itself and i do appreciate that um i'm still going to go back to i don't um I, I struggle with the idea that if we've got capacity in the shelter that we aren't enforcing the illegal or the no the the camping rule i really struggle with that um, and i would like to know what other commissioners think about that because i just think that we can't wait to have enough capacity for this entire population we have to it has to be piecemeal and we're working on numerous great items on piecemeal trying to make sure we get everything in place uh, but we've got again one more time we've got open beds we should, I believe we should be enforcing the camping rule because we've got places for some folks to go. And I would like to know what other commissioners think about that. Well, I feel like I heard what Commissioner Finkeldye said, and maybe I'm wrong. I think that doing it at this moment or make, giving direction to do that right now before the uh, Pallet Villages um ready to open would cause a level of chaos that's unnecessary at this time um so just to be clear while i my comments were abort about the prioritization of how we change how we end the camping in all of the parks and an absolute recognition of how it needs to be done um um appropriately and and by trauma-informed people and i'm absolutely not advocating that it is something that the police need to do um, uh, when we have the partners we have who are capable of communicating and building trust with those groups. Um, I think I'm sort of midway, I guess, uh, Mayor. I, I just don't think now is the appropriate time, but it is, it is absolutely my number one priority and, and many of the reasons that I have uh, supported this plan and um, voted the way that I have is that my expectation is that we will um, end camping in all of our parks. Um, I was only, I don't believe there, this moment is that time, um, but I, I have, you know, feelings about um, what, how that should be prioritized as we um, try to move that forward. I, I agree with Commissioner Shipley in that this is, this, I agree, and, and you know, we had hoped that we'd have the Pallet Village open by June, and we would have ended camping by now, and it didn't happen. Um, and we need to to we need to get the Pallet Village open. We also need increased capacity LCS. Two things we've done, and I think you know that is the time to you know fully implement that. I do support you know what we've done on you know some of the um, parks and other parts of it. Um, but, and I guess, Mayor, my question for you is, uh, is your suggestion that do we start by taking the people from New Beginnings and moving them to LCS to say they can't camp there? Or are you saying pick someplace else to move the people from some, the, the camp outside of New Beginnings and move them? Or when you say you want to move them to LCS and enforce it, what, what do you, I, I guess I want to know more about what you're suggesting well, we do. I'm not suggesting any specific location. What I'm what I'm wanting to see is that again, it's, we've got capacity at the shelter, and so we are not enforcing the camping rule 
at places other than our CD districts. We heard that tonight. And, you know, we've seen it um, throughout the time that we've been having these discussions for a couple of years that that when, you know, the, the idea that it's complaint driven, which Brandon talked about earlier. So are we telling folks that, no, you cannot camp here. Here's a place where you can be. Um, that's um, that you can be sheltered and it's emergency shelter. There's no doubt. There's all phases to this. We're talking emergency shelter, transitioning sh sh housing, and then into permanent housing. And so we're at the emergency shelter part of it. So I'm not saying start here, start there. I still, what plan do we have? I, I, we just haven't seen any ideas to how we intend to do that. And I know staff has talked about bringing that to us, and I appreciate that. Um, but what I hear in staff's voice a little bit is a hesitation that we're going to actually start doing some of that enforcement. And I could be mistaken, and please please point that out if I am. But I continue to hear the, the, the just hesitation of, you know, when can we start actually doing the enforcement that should already, I think, should already be happening? This is part of the plan that we are trying to build. And other company, other other cities that have done this work, they have sophisticated plans that they've taken people. How do we move somebody that's for weeks, months, years been in one location? And how do we get them to a place so that they're successful at their transition out of out of homelessness? Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to do. And so if we go in and say that tonight something we're going to go out and enforce this randomly, not knowing who it is or where they are, that that is not going to be probably successful. And again, this is not my area of expertise. We now have people that have that expertise. But that's the reason why we're not saying tomorrow pick a neighborhood and that's where we're going to go. And, and, and we do need to build a plan so that we're successful in that. And that's what we're hoping to bring to you some pieces of that, this manual you're talking, you're, we, we reference and a place for everyone plan. Those are the pieces that are being built and these operating manuals are all part of that so that we have strategies and we can say by name, by location, that we have a plan that's going to work. And so that's what we want to bring to you. If the direction is that we should be tomorrow starting to address, you know, starting to take camping down and move people that are in camp camping that have been there for a while, a couple of the, the well-known places that were referenced tonight, I, I think we will be over our heads really quickly. We need to have a plan that and all the resources to do that successfully. And I do think that that has been done and that is our plan. We want to get people to move successfully out of that. And then they aren't, there, there's nobody committing crimes. There's nobody that's vulnerable. Like we've heard tonight, um, they're on recovery and they have the supports they need. So that's what we're trying to get to. And I and I also think it's important that leaving this public meeting to correct. We're not we're not doing this on complaint basis. We have responded to complaints. That's part of what we hear. But if somebody has started camping in a park where we haven't seen them before, and that's not a that's an active use park. When we hear about it, those that's how we hear about it. We hear about it also from the people our, on our staff that maintain parks. When when somebody's tried to establish a place where that's the camping hasn't been happening, then we try to immediately address that and make sure that they understand that that's not an appropriate place to go. So I don't want it to sound like 
we just wait for somebody to call and then that's when we respond. That's really not how it works. Just thank, to thank you for that clarify. clarification. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yep. I, I might even add there are people who come to our staff or to, you know, home, members of the homeless outreach team um, who are currently living unsheltered, sometimes with children, um, looking for help and we don't have good options in this community. That's what we're, that's what we're working on. So. So I guess once again, I, I do um, appreciate the work that staff is doing on this. Um, I've shared my frustrations with, with you as well as the commission. And, and I obviously you're, I, I believe the path we're doing, I believe in the path that we're taking. There's pieces of it that I'm still struggling with and I think still needs to be addressed. So I do appreciate it. Yeah, I, I do echo one thank staff and all of our community partners um in order to help with this uh, Bert Nash LMH and other community partners um and uh yeah anything else on this item well there's a lot more that we'll be doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no more tonight okay all right well thank you everybody for coming and making comments do appreciate it so we're on to item I of the, it's commission items. Um, any commission items for staff? Um, I would be interested in the background of the uh, tennis court in North Lawrence going to pickleball. I was at the North Lawrence and I talked to, I think, Miss I mean, Elliott, who was the former tennis pro, and a little background on that so we could understand better. Um, where that is and how we can, you know, consider that and where that fits into the overall plan. Okay. Any other commission items? Okay. Move on to the city manager's report. Um, a couple of items of note on uh, the city manager's report. One, uh, I believe we there was some a request for some information on the quiet zones. So we uh, not only resurrected some um, previous research, but also updated that with what we have come to understand about that program. And it, it was part of the CIP, so um, that's why we offered that update and happy to answer any questions on that. Also, um, we talk about talked a lot tonight about things that are new to us and things that we're trying and have mixed success on. Um, we are trying something I think will be wildly popular, and that is to expand our transit system to an on-demand service that's going to fill some, some gaps that we've seen and uh, continue to offer that as part of our free um, no-fare um, services. So a uh, very exciting expansion there, and uh, we think the public's going to really like it. Thank you. Anything else? Any questions for Craig on any of those items? If not, we'll open it up to public comment. This is a public comment item. Anybody um, in the room would like to, to comment on any of these items or have any questions on any of these specific items on the city manager's report? Ted Boyle, North Lawrence Improvement. <clears throat> Yeah, Craig's right about one thing. Uh, we did start that quiet zone a number of years ago, and uh, uh, UP, at the last minute, wanted a $400,000 upgrade to Crossing 3, and they wanted the city to pay for it. Uh, Corliss was the city manager at that time, 
had a meeting with him, and we thought that spending $400,000 on the railroad wasn't worth it. And if you're going to spend $400,000 in North Lawrence, we want it spent on uh, drainage. And so the deal is, but I don't know whose idea it was to try to combine uh, the UP with the Santa Fe. <clears throat> Two months ago, I had the senior advisor for the UP Railroad in charge of shipping hazardous material up the tracks. Uh, got the depot, rented the depot, had about 65, 70 people there. <clears throat> His name is Lane Chepnick, and he lives in DeSoto, and he's a friend of mine. And matter of fact, we had a, a spill over in North Lawrence two weeks ago that I called him up from Garnett to come up here. But anyway, the presentation that he made, which was a two-hour presentation, question and answer uh, from the residents, and one question was, when I brought it up, that Craig told me when I, 2021, uh, when we applied for the quiet zone, we started, uh, the first letter was 2018. And anyway, he made the statement, well, maybe we can uh, get a quiet zone for the Santa Fe and the UP. I said, no, I don't think so. Well, I asked Lane that. He says, no. He said, uh, there's the UP and uh, the Santa Fe have nothing in common nothing in common so all you're doing is you're delaying the progress on the up railroad so we want the up quiet zone to be priority priority and uh and you know it took a year and a half to get to where we were the last time and we were one city commission meeting away from getting it approved. And the city had already put the Jersey barriers in the crossings, already had done that. Uh, the railroad was putting the longer arms down, taking the, uh, and putting be uh, car horns on the crossings instead of the whistles on the trains. And it was gonna be a quiet zone from like- uh, Thank you, Ted, uh, thank you. Priority. Any other any other public comment on this on the city manager's report? Anybody on Zoom? Kevin Elliott. Yeah. Um, hello, this is Kevin Elliott. Um, Ted and I don't often agree on a lot of things, but we sure agree on this. Um, the, um, the quiet zone is not just a matter of, of convenience for the neighborhood; it's a safety zone. And um, and North Lawrence really did get uh, the shaft last time, and I appreciated that this, this sort of thing could be revisited. Thank you. Anybody else on Zoom? That's it. All right, we'll bring it back wait, up. Wait, I had a question. Oops. I wanted to clarify if if uh, Dave or Stephen is on. Um, the, this was resurrected partly because of an understanding that there was some federal funding. And in the staff memo, it seems to indicate that KDOT says there is none or we don't qualify. I just wanted to follow up on, on that. Has that federal funding dried up? Has the state funding dried up? Or is there some way in which we were short in our information to them? Yes, uh, Dave Cronin. <clears throat> um, we haven't identified any 
state funding that's available to do a project for a quiet zone. Um, so that's something we've asked about, but there's not a program uh, for any grant funding to do to do a project. Anything else, Commissioner? We're good. So are we done with the city manager's report? Any, any? Thanks, Mayor. Okay, we'll move on to um, calendar, item K, calendar items. Anything on the calendar that we need to talk about? Not? We'll move for adjournment. Move to adjourn. Second. We've got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Passes four to zero. Thank you.